0: to Decomposing Worm, a worm analysis podcast. That's Clarence. He's the first-time reader and literary expert.
1: And that was Matthias. He's read the story before.
0: In this 12-episode series, we're using critical theory to explore the superhero web serial worm from a high-level perspective, covering worm in six 300,000-ish word chunks.
1: Mm-hmm. And today is part two of book four perspectives um so here we'll be applying literary theory to or'm um, kind of coming through um, arcs 18 through 22 with uh, several lenses this week not I wouldn't say um, like a completely kaleidoscopic collection I have accumulated um, but it's <laughs> I mean it's like a bit of a like weaving of several of them. And then there'll be, like, a nice dip into rhetoric from Matthias. Thanks,
0: thanks. Yeah. Uh, That's that's a great introduction to it. Uh, So, as usual, if you haven't read ARCs uh, 18 through 22, please do, because this is a full spoilers discussion. And, of course, if you haven't listened to the overview episode, uh, I also recommend that. That Mm -hmm. said, it is four hours, so if you skipped it, I understand. (laughs)
1: Perfectly uh, acceptable.
0: Um, We also released a bonus episode last week because uh, our schedule has been a bit wonky Mm -hmm. and uh, we are now switching to a bi-weekly schedule so in two weeks will be the next episode rather than next week uh but to make up for abruptly changing the schedule we did an episode on uh fight scenes so if you haven't listened to that it's there for you um but all right uh so um so as usual we are going to do our character studies at first then we'll do our essays and in between we'll have some smaller bits of discussion before we end the show
1: Mm -hmm. and i mean obviously full disclosure again we we just we don't claim our expertise to be official or fancy or anything we're still kind of like piecing it together from a variety of different you know classes and our own analysis and everything so take take everything with a grain of salt
0: yeah, maybe uh consider reading the stuff we're citing yourselves. Yes.
1: Yes, don't take our word for what we say we know.
0: Yeah. Um okay, let's go. Uh our first is our first character study and I think you're up first.
1: Yes, I am. Okay, so I did Rachel this time. Um which seems perhaps counterintuitive because we don't see Rachel that, you know, mm-hmm. often. You know, we don't have like an inter- interlude specifically for her right where we just mm-hmm. kind of uh which which I feel like makes it all the more interesting because there's huge amounts of character development for rachel Mm -hmm. um particularly in this arc right um and it's so interesting because it all kind of happens in the background where she's just sort of like uh, developing emotionally Mm -hmm. um i mean we see her a lot like she's active in the in you know the fight scenes and when there's like large gatherings of people and team meetings and that sort of thing but um really we don't we don't really check in with her until way late when when taylor pops in to see how she's doing yeah uh, we get like a little bit of a little bit of a look um throughout but yeah it was just really interesting to see like how not it, it's it's not like humongously drastic but it was just like a kind of an interesting kind of sub plot that was happening along with you know the kind of you know more action-based you know um main plot
0: yeah we have kind of a collection of just points along her her growth, uh, mm-hmm. a couple during like the echidna arc, uh, and then during um, it, with that final goodbye, and a couple times during some other fights, and ending, of course, with the the final the, sh- the final scene with the Charlotte interlude, where she comes in with all the puppies and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, there's a lot of growth between all those points.
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of like leaps and bounds, mm-hmm. strangely enough. But I, but I think it's just kind of the shift, like the growth happens because she has a mentality shift from the beginning. Because, um, like, when we had her interlude and, you know, we kind of saw how she perceived herself in, like, the before and how she thought about, um, like, herself in a social position and kind of her value, I think we really sort of got a very clear perspective of that um, then. And then kind of this this arc, we, we don't really see her thought process as to, like, why she kind of has, like, decided to to, um, open herself up, I would say, you know, kind of open up her willingness to like trust and to listen and not just listen, but learn. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also, which I feel like is almost the most significant point is to like, kind of make or like cultivate friends by herself, you
0: know, of her own volition. Yeah. She's kind of, um, I mean, Taylor kind of describes it as her own like family, Mm -hmm. but it is really interesting that it's like, it's people that she has complete choice over whether they're there or not. Mm Mm-hmm and they also are the ones choosing to be around her so. yeah they
1: like some of them seek her out specifically and and she it's it's less about like being directly instructed to get along with specific people mm mm-hmm. it's kind of like taylor taylor's kind of like you figure it out you know like you have you have the like the agency to to you know make your own decisions you know and kind of choose who to trust um and the fact that she like goes out and decides to like She's like, okay, then I will do that, you know? I don't know. It's just so... It's very heartwarming. She's a very heartwarming character to mm-hmm.
0: me. On the finding her own sort of place, I always found it interesting that she was the one that got the underlings of Barker and Biter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost wonder if it was just thematic of Coil, it was just like, well, they're named Bark- Barker and Biter. They have to go with the dog cape, but probably not. But uh, that they eventually slotted in, even though they were some of those that yeah she didn't yeah, have a choice of whether they were there or not
1: yeah yeah I shoot that there is there's a there is kind of like a balance between like which I feel like speaks to it even more of like her her like her choice to kind of say in her mind, okay like i'm I'm in a position where I need to like accommodate at least a few people, you know, and kind of like make space in myself and around me to kind of like so that they can fit and I can fit, you know or mm-hmm. we kind of like become a like a puzzle that fits together when before it was like all jagged edges. Yeah, which is very cliche metaphor, but you know <laughs> um, yeah so so I'm gonna kind of like peer through a few of these a few of the moments that I think were particularly interesting yeah um, in terms of her like character development of each moment I think. Okay so so first first um, I thought it was really interesting when it, we we start out with like in in the beginning of Arc 8, we have everybody kind of gathered together and, you know, uh, with Dinah and Rachel is the one specifically to kind of, to reach out to Dinah when Dinah gets quiet, where she's like, you're Mm -hmm. quiet, you know, like what's going on. And it was just really interesting that she was, she's not usually like that aware, I would say of like the, the, the implication of a silence in like a social setting. Yeah. Um, and then it, it was fascinating that she kind of like recognized that, which perhaps speaks to like her own silences and that she kind of like... Was like maybe something there's something you know going on in that moment, but it was just interesting because she both recognized that it was happening, like that there was a silence that had a specific meaning. Um Yeah, When pretty and often.
0: She, go ahead.
1: Oh, the second part is that she chose to like engage in conversation and figure out what was going on so that she could like address it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's interesting because uh, very often I think we get a recurring beat of just like she doesn't want to talk unless if it's like necessary. Mm-hmm. Um. I think even uh, w- that first time that uh, Taylor and her hang out in, with the with the dogs, they're basically Taylor knows how like comfortable she is with the silence. Mm-hmm. yeah, so, so yeah, that yeah,
1: her sort of like voluntary engagement with someone that she hasn't really had a lot of interaction with, um, I think spoke like a lot to her kind of like development of like social awareness, right, um, yeah, because then. In like a little bit later on, when when um, Taylor is sort of like incapacitated and she like can't remove her mask and she like needs you know uh, Rachel to like come and help her to like get out of the window that sort of thing. Um, Rachel recognizes like the like the physicality of like needing to like remove a bit of the mask so that she could like throw up and, right. and like accommodate her her needs. It it just it kind of like was building upon this like anticipation of other people's of other people's needs, um, yeah, which. Which I don't know. She she's just kind of like becoming better at like reading the situation, mm-hmm. um, and kind of I don't know. It's just there's just like small little bits, you know, that you kind of like start piecing yeah, no, together. I
0: think identifying all those moments is is really interesting. What I what I think is interesting in that is that as a reader, you know, and especially well when we go back and analyze, right? It's kind of hard to pull out all these tiny tiny moments because mm-hmm. they're tiny tiny moments, and it's kind of hard to be like, oh, in this moment you know, she changed completely to to act a, a different way. Where yeah. Really, it's just one more point of evidence toward that change. But as you're reading through, you're just kind of taking that in, and your image of her is just slowly shifting over time.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's very much of like, um, like looking in the mirror, but like constantly, like every day you look in the mirror, and you don't really notice mm-hmm. the change until suddenly you like haven't looked in the mirror for a while. But it's like... It's very different than than someone who like remembers every detail, every moment, and sees and can trace each change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The the Rachel who came in with three dogs and uh, punched uh, Taylor and or, just
1: left and I feel like, left. Yeah, it's very it's, different.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not quite the same one that we have now. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and I mean she still she still does like place a lot of value like with her dogs and that sort of thing like. The conversation that that uh taylor and rachel have about the clones mm-hmm. where the first conversation they have where taylor's kind of like having trouble figuring out how to like convince herself that she needs to like kill them where she has to like keep um reminding herself she's like oh they're not people and then rachel's like what are you talking about like it doesn't that's already in my head but then yeah. later on when she encounters cloned dogs she's like oh i see what you're Feels saying wrong. yeah you know she like She's able to like equate that, so she still has like sp- her her specific values, but she she's able to um like see into the heads of others i suppose mm-hmm. I don't know what the technical psychological term for that is, but it's like a specific stage of development I feel like that I won't be able to remember, but you i
0: know. i i won't I wouldn't either, yeah, that reminds me of just uh well, maybe this is jumping off to a different point a little bit too far ahead, but it reminds me of during Charlotte's interlude, I think. Uh, it's the part where Rachel is talking about, or Charlotte basically says something along the lines of uh, losing a human is totally different than losing a dog, and mm-hmm. how it's like not as. You can get over losing a dog, but it's really hard to get over losing a human. And it's like totally wrong. Like, I mean, talking to. To Rachel, of all yeah. people, saying that is yeah, completely okay. wrong. But she doesn't like. She kind of just accepts that that's just a difference mm-hmm. in how they yeah. They she, view doesn't it. she doesn't immediately jump to violence.
1: Yeah, which, which is... I feel like she would have absolutely had it been even like I a don't few marks
0: earlier. Does she? Does she even argue against it?
1: I feel like she just has what like a disagreeable yeah, like yeah face, Expression. and she kind of like yeah. tenses up, but then she kind of backs off immediately.
0: Yeah, she doesn't huge. engage
1: verbally or anything. Yeah. 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 Just the, the amount of control she has over herself. Cause like her first, her first answer was like physical violence every time. And then now she's kind of like tempered that kind of figured out when it's okay to use when it's not okay to use sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um which, I mean, I know I keep going back to this concept of, like, being able to read social situations, but, like, that's I, a yeah, really I mean, that tough skill. Main,
0: yeah, that is her main her main struggle yeah, of... Yeah. Uh, she has the dog psychology, and so she has to basically uh, manually assess every situation and, like, logic her way through mm-hmm.
1: it. Yeah, and she's got to kind of, like, build those those rhythms of logic that, mm-hmm. like, she wouldn't have... Like, because she's even got to, like, sort of think about other people's logic, too, because, like, her logic doesn't work the same way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So she's really, like, sort of building a lot of, like, scaffolding onto her, like, understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But,
0: okay. It, I think, like, her... her So we know basically that some natural triggers will change the, the minds of their... Um, of of the mm. the parahuman right yeah so she's she's like the first big example we see and I think just the extent of it is is comparable to Accords uh mm. the influence yeah. on, on his mind where it's like he he also has this completely uncontrollable mm-hmm. intrusive thoughts that he has to logic his way into not acting on them um, I think he succumbs to them a little bit more than she does but it's the same sort of like intense. Alteration, yeah, like immediate that,
1: visceral reactions.
0: Yeah. yeah, that now they have to work around mm-hmm. rather like they there's no just getting over it. It doesn't just go away. Yeah,
1: yeah, they're kind of like stuck in a specific type of reasoning. Yeah, but yeah, and then um we jump ahead a little bit to the the uh Parahumans online interlude mm-hmm. where we we have the like wag the dog where like yes. they're very excited about going to go work for Rachel, and they're, like, super excited, and they return to make sure that everyone knows that it's definitely good, and they <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, I feel like it speaks to, like, we, we don't see a lot of, like, of the, like, inter, intra-textual pieces kind of, like, pointing out, like, the the good of the local teenage warlords, you know? <laughs> um, I feel yeah. like a lot of, because a lot of them are, like, pamphlets and that sort of thing of, like, what to watch out for, or like, how to kind of, you know, navigate this new, Mm -hmm. System or, like, watch out, you know, with her specifically. They're like, oh, there's all this, like, you have dogs to watch out for and, you know, this violence. But then there's, like, it's interesting, too, that these people are, one, seeking her out very specifically, and then, two, um, returning to, like, to the the medium of, like, the internet to make sure and to, like, reassure and kind of, like, create a whole new new facet of, like, her public identity. Yeah. You know, because, like, even... Perhaps even unthinkingly that the this individual has like has contributed to that.
0: Yeah, to so that perspective of mm-hmm. it, maybe she's actually cool. Like, yes, her dogs maul people and break their bones. Yeah, but she's also just cool and uh, likes dogs, and that's significant in its own way. Yeah, yeah, that's relatable. I like dogs. Who knows? Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, yeah, it reminds me of that. Uh, the in arc 20 in arcadia high there's the the flyer of um mm.
2: how,
0: how does it i don't remember how it's phrased it's something like uh know your surroundings or something like that yes um and it written with a picture of a dog is you don't know shit mm-hmm. and so that implies i don't know if it was wag the dog but it's clearly like someone who respects rachel or some or identifies with uh rachel's branch of the undersiders
1: yeah yeah yeah, which is a whole nother concept of textual interaction of like like graffiti and, and vandalism versus like the quote unquote like official documents being placed mm-hmm. out and the sort of like interaction of like public space as like a medium to like anyways. Uh, sorry, that's a aside. <laughs> but
0: I almost went into that with um, the one I my little essay thing because it's a lot it's about the rhetoric of places, mm-hmm. so maybe we'll we'll touch on it there.
1: Oh, good, good. Huh, I miss Frederick. <laughs> but, anyways, um, and then kind of like in the jumping a little bit further ahead, past past the whole high school stuff, um, at the moment when Taylor comes to visit, kind of, and to like assess Rachel's like new surroundings and everything. It's it's um not it's not stereotypical, but it's it's very like like a very common way to kind of like forge uh relationships of like mm-hmm. food you know the like the consumption of food sorry that was a really strange way <laughs> to make <that> <laughs> it
0: it <laughs> was tricks. a little bit i i'm aware of the act of the consumption <laughs> of food as a bonding experience among humans yes
1: okay <laughs> so anyway so this thing you know the food consumption all together sitting you know
0: um, yeah
1: yeah well it was just i don't know it was it was nice that like that that was you know, that was kind of like the, the moment that we get to see with everyone is is them playing with the dogs and then all of them kind of eating together, eating the like long green vegetables, all of this. And the kid looking like super excited about it because um, she like the the kind of the way that that Rachel kind of articulates her what she wants. It, it seems kind of that she's still sort of figuring out how to how to like coexist together mm-hmm. But like that she's like really trying very, very hard to make sure that that the space is like welcoming and and is a place of like community.
0: Yeah, she's really like just calm about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I think she's trying to casually figure out how to best train these people.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, she she's realizing that little bits of praise of you know saying that the food was good and things like that is kind of uh, a, a basically giving a treat, and so mm-hmm. she's kind of mm-hmm. working on on that as well, which is which is fun. Yeah. and learning to trust people enough to to start giving them dogs and that's really huge for her as well.
1: Yes, that whole sequence where Rachel's kind of like explaining how she's how she's like very specifically like picking out the dogs like making sure that the dogs are able to like exist with families and interact with them. It it's really f- like important I think to note that one that she's like she's put like huge amount of, of thought and like effort into this cuz like Taylor kind of suggested that like earlier on where she's kind of like you need to like think about like the importance i think of of like working with others and kind of like trying to like make these pathways so that she Mm -hmm. can like facilitate her dogs and everything and it's i don't know it's just really interesting because we don't see her we don't see rachel have that thought process of like okay so taylor said this and i need to like think through this and here's these like specific ways that i can implement this and all of this we don't really see her kind of like think through that we see the aftermath of it yeah um
0: I think the first moment that we see something along, well, it's probably not the first moment, but a moment that we see along these lines is uh, back in arc. Mm. I want to say 15, but where they all meet up at the Undersider base. And uh, one of Rachel's uh, vets basically talks about having a greyhound or getting one. And even Rachel's like really hostile during that conversation. But at the end Mm -hmm. of it, she does relent and basically say, you can have this particular greyhound. Yeah. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's one of those like moments very much in, in the middle of that uh, transformation where she's still really hostile. She's still uh, really kind of untrusting of people, but she's really willing to uh, take a chance on someone if they yeah. really seem like they know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like all these like small pieces of like choosing to trust. I feel like that sort of like accumulate, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. And then, and then, I feel like the very end also that this uh, in the moment as as Taylor's leaving where Rachel says, thanks, she's like curled up on the couch with like the kid and everything. And she can't even Rachel like isn't visible or anything. But like there is this this, um, I guess, like acknowledgement of of the catalyst, I I would say that Taylor kind of like started. Yeah, because I feel like I feel like it's Taylor that kind of started rachel down this path of you know but then she rachel was the one who kind of like decided to like actively listen and like you know kind of gain it and develop yeah. like a modicum of control like over her emotional responses and and like her ability to like kind of cultivate companionship and everything
0: yeah i i think the, the her big turning points were originally when when taylor was reaching out that was the very beginning mm-hmm. but then eventually when uh Rachel betrayed her by throwing her into the uh, containment phone with yeah. foam. It was uh, another one when Taylor basically said, even though you betrayed me, I'm going to be your friend, mm-hmm. damn it. Uh, And we see during her interlude when she meets the Siberian uh, how much it's been, like, eating away at her. Yeah,
1: it's really been, like, sitting with her.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting that, like, the Siberian gives her an alternate option. Mm-hmm. Of be wild and give up, basically, and and just become what... Go along that easy path and become the the end result of that. And during the Slaughterhouse-Nine arcs, she realizes that that's not what she wants. And she Mm -hmm. goes the other direction. And she, I think, conquers that urge to be wild and instead works really hard on becoming a social person. Yeah, yeah. So, in a way... The Siberian is re- is is partly responsible for her being this this casual person as well. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Seeing the sort of like path she doesn't want to go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The nine had like a huge impact on a lot of the undersiders.
0: You know, <laughs> to, to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> I think the one that had the least uh, impact from it probably was like Tattletale. Maybe maybe Imp or Regent, but yeah, uh, grows a bit obvious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh taylor is also a bit obvious yeah. i mean i don't know what but exactly the like, point at but i feel
1: like regent yeah,
0: yeah with either, cherish yeah, yeah
1: with cherish he had like his whole like familial chat yeah i don't and know kind about of imp. like
0: defining himself against her mm-hmm. I- I- at the very least imp is uh now more okay with murder so that's a change but then again true. maybe she was always okay with murder we don't know
1: yeah i don't know she's pretty casual about she's pretty like cavalier yeah yeah Ah, yeah. imp. But okay, so the last moments about um about Rachel are all from oh wait no there are multiples of them. Okay, so first it's from a little bit of uh, Parian's interlude, mm-hmm. um, when they're all kind of in their team meeting, where you know you know the initial moments sort of of, of you know when Taylor herself in and then and when when Rachel shows up at the meeting she doesn't know right and then you know Regent sort of just kind of casually tosses it out and then she immediately is like she has a plan and it takes him like a while to like convince her that maybe she doesn't have a plan you know because yeah. she's she's like very convinced similarly similarly to um in the fight against uh dragons suits where she was just kind of like okay yeah like she has a plan like we just have to trust her because yeah. she always has a plan um
0: she always figures out the the one way out yeah
1: yeah but in the moment where they kind of she she sort of realizes that maybe she doesn't or they don't know how it's going to happen or like you know she kind of like realizes that maybe there isn't like an immediate return sort of thing yeah she she doesn't like immediately like fly off the handle and like react in a very like violent and like visceral sort of way like she has Mm -hmm. she has that like anger and like betrayal and like panic but she doesn't. She doesn't like. Um, it doesn't like. I mean, she men- doesn't
0: punch anyone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or storm off. Even I don't think. I mean,
1: Perian's, like super freaked out because yeah. it's Perian. But like, yeah. Just, just the the amount of restraint that she shows in that moment is just. It was just like I. Th- I feel like it said a lot about how much control she has over herself now. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And then even too, she like even after she's like not super sure about the intentions of Taylor, with this whole turning herself in, she's still kind of, like, I mean, it doesn't matter, like, she's still, we still need to, like, support her, yeah. you know, we still need to avenge her if they, like, fuck her over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's something all the undersiders are in agreement about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating, this this sort of, like, parallel, but, like, completely totally different of, like, her first betrayal and her second, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, I don't know, it's just, the circumstances are so totally different when it's, like, somebody that you've kind of like adopted into your group versus like your leader that like has a penchant of setting up things Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah but in my oh in the last little second you know that i wanted to look at for uh rachel is uh charlotte's interlude Mm -hmm. um which which is the scene with like the puppies and everything where she's like you know she i mean she still kind of like has you know she's still she's still rachel where she kind of they have to, like, send somebody else to make sure that she's nice to the children and everything. But just the... She's very, like, you know, determined to, like, make sure that she's, like, doing the things that she wants to do, I guess. Yeah. You know, and, like, offering comfort when she can in her own kind of roundabout, gruff sort of way.
0: <laughs> it, that's such an adorable scene. Just yeah. gruffly handing puppies into... Or shoving puppies into people's hands. Yeah, to Be like, hey, so funny. you need this. Uh.
1: Yeah. And then it, I think it's also, um, I mean, perhaps I'm interpreting the moment where they're talking about her going into the portal of the world. What is the official term for it?
0: Um, I think it's just the portal the at portal. this point.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, in that moment where she's entertaining the idea of like her and her dogs going, mm-hmm. um, there's a moment where, where she like, it says, uh, then she seems to think of something and then she says, maybe which I I don't know if we're supposed to interpret that as like maybe she's not going to go or maybe she's going to take her friends slash minions slash found family with her. Because I feel like either option is maybe a possibility.
0: Yeah. When I first read it, so I think that's when Taylor's first giving her the idea, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that I interpreted it was it's a reluctant maybe because she doesn't want to leave like Taylor and the rest of the undersiders, but mostly Taylor. Yeah. And so I think that's actually a point where the way that I see it is that Rachel's growth has kind of outstripped Taylor's view of her even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where she doesn't... Taylor thinks that Rachel still just wants to be alone. Yeah. which With just her her dogs, even though she's just now seeing that found family. Uh, And yeah, I think Rachel was more uh, hesitant to do that. But at the end of it, I think... Uh, I think during Charlotte's interlude, that's when she basically, like, announces to the group that, like, I'm probably going to be going over.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think you're right that that maybe is probably connected to all, yeah, all these people around her that she actually likes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she's just, there's just so much vulnerability that she's, like, willingly displaying to other individuals around this time that, I don't know, it's just, it's kind of cool to, like, see, see it kind of happen. Gradually, mm-hmm. also it's on wonderful. the note of like Taylor's perspective of her, like kind of her categorization, mm-hmm. um, I feel like she has that tendency. Taylor does to kind of like assess somebody and then kind of keep them in that particular assessment.
0: Mm. That's an interesting observation. And then
1: not always really revise it. Uh huh. Um, which, like, because well, because she really likes things to be like she likes yeah. to know things, you know, and have them be known. And I feel like the the social and emotional development of people or the you know the changing emotional landscape of somebody after mm-hmm. a, um, a trauma I feel like she doesn't quite know how to navigate
0: yeah I think armsmaster slash define is a really another good example of her just mm-hmm. struggling to understand that he's becoming a better person yeah. It, like, there's multiple multiple times where she meets him and still, like, kind of is thinking of him as an asshole, but he's kind of, like, a good person, but still, you know, he was a dick to me before. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, kind I of think like... that might be interesting to parallel the two of them, actually, Rachel and, and Armsmaster. Hmm. Uh, another parallel that I'm seeing is they both encountered members of the Slaughterhouse Nine and in the wake of it kind of went in the other direction that the Nine wanted them to go. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Mannequin.
1: Yeah, they sort of, like, glimpsed into the abyss, and mm-hmm. when the abyss glimpsed back, they were like, hmm, no. No, thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The the concept of her going away, of Rachel going away into this space that's, like, s- very empty, but, like, full of potential, just, I don't know. It seems, I mean, she was sort of, like, alone for, like, a while with her yeah. dogs, you know, but then now it's, like, it's, like, a different sort of solitude, to be on a planet all by yourself. If indeed she is, who knows? Maybe there's, like, various life forms. Who knows?
0: Indeed, who knows? Yeah, but... Do you have anything else about Rachel?
1: Um, that, no, that was kind of it. Just okay. The... Yeah, yeah. There's a... <laughs> I mean,
0: she, she's... I think she's very commonly a favorite character. Like, yeah, sure. top, I mean, I could definitely watch talk about five. her for, like, a while. Yes. <laughs> she's, she's just lovely. There's yeah. so many wonderful moments. Yeah. Especially, this is actually... Uh, you mentioned the betrayals earlier. I think this is actually, like, her third betrayal uh, of Taylor doing that. The the second one being when Rachel, like, thought that Taylor had turned coat um, during the uh, coil stuff. Yeah, yeah. And in that one, she did feel super betrayed and she acted on it. Mm-hmm. But she kind of also got over it, too, like, relatively quickly.
1: Yeah, once it was an explanation, she, like, was pretty, pretty like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. That's that halfway point again. Mm-hmm. And in this one, she just doesn't believe it's a betrayal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then let's move on to uh, my character analysis. Uh, um, I did Clockblocker.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about this.
0: Yeah. Okay. So Clockblocker. Um, honestly, <laughs> at first I was finding it a little bit difficult to find another character that was like as developed as, as Rachel. Mm-hmm. So I just picked one that is like, I, I just find just really fun to to have around yeah uh and i don't you know see a lot of super in-depth analysis on him in particular because he's more of a minor character yeah even though i feel like we know him really well even though we've only had one well we've had one interlude and one therapy session which are basically our main looks into his perspective yeah
1: but i feel like they were pretty deep looks into his psyche that's
0: that's fair yeah yeah
1: you know and his like banter i feel like is the kind of banter that like you hear and you're like, oh, he's like, he like feels familiar, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of draw out his personality, especially mm-hmm. from the beginning, right? You're like, okay, he named himself Clockblocker and he's not just like a doofus. Yeah. He's yeah. All, he's like fairly intelligent and, and then you can draw out the rest of it. Uh, so on that, actually, so his big thing is that he actually does go through a pretty big character arc uh, through like three different States, essentially. He mm-hmm. has his beginning where he is that jokester, um, playful and things like that. That middle with his interlude where everything's gone wrong and he's extremely jaded. He's extremely frustrated with how the villains are mm-hmm. uh, winning. And uh, although that's expounded upon later on with the Yamada interlude, but he, he feels like he's always in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we'll come back to that particular phrase in a minute because it's a little obvious. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and then at, by the end of this by the time that Taylor turns herself in he's basically gone the other direction where he's not only he he's he's serious but he's not just like mad about things. Yeah, yeah. He's he wants to take things seriously and like fix them. And I think a really key moment of just showing the the change that he's gone through is when Taylor turns herself in and um mm. She says, basically, like, what position do you need me to take? And he goes, once upon a time, I would have had a response to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Taylor doesn't get, which is hilarious. But because it's like, come on, assume the position. Come on. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't choose to, t- to take that joke, mm-hmm. which is usually a defense mechanism for him of, like, making things unserious anymore. And yeah, he's taking yeah. this seriously still. So I was wondering... Right. What his power is to stop time Mm -hmm. with an indeterminate time to it, which is interesting. And I was wondering, like, what possibly could be his trauma for this? Like, Like, why begin that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so, basically, I was trying to identify the irony in it. And Mm -hmm. the main one I find is that he has to that um, he has like full control over one thing when he's next to it. Right. Yeah. He has. control to make it completely stop Mm -hmm. which is as full of control you can get before your regent, but he cannot decide for how long and so it's this complete certainty this thing will not move mixed with a extreme uncertain uncertainty he has no idea how long it's going to last and so i was just thinking (sighs) of like he can't really even work on his own because if like there's more than two guys right if he freezes them like uh like a distance apart where it takes like five seconds to run from one to the other. He can only be like next to one. And then if they have powers, there's always a chance that they unfreeze and then immediately like get away. Mm -hmm. Right. And he has no idea when they're going to stop. And so that main frustration he expresses during his interlude is that he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, let me read out his, uh, let me read out a section from him. Um, so the 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 whole time he was uh, frustrated with how when he's with his father who who is sick and he's trying to basically buy time for them
2: mm-hmm.
0: he uh, doesn't feel like he's doing enough and that on the street there's horrible things happening and when he's on the street he feels like he's not able to stop enough things uh, at, at the very end of it when he's like in a fight which is exactly where, where you know his power wants him to, to be uh, the, his interlude ends with he realized what it was this calm. Whatever else it was, this fight was a refuge from that feeling that had plagued him since the fight with the Leviathan ended—the feeling that he was always in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, in the face of a city in crisis and a dying father. This right here was where he was needed. This is what I'm here for. And I, I mean, I—I I think it, the, mm. the the irony there is is clearer that the. the thematic line is very clear in wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. And, yeah, his his power is to stop time, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's when in those moments of, of combat that basically he's satisfied that, like, this is the correct time. I, mean, yeah. I think yeah. it's mostly just because, like, that's what the, the, the trauma wants him to do. Mm. And even though it might not actually be the, the best place for it.
1: Do you feel like, like, I mean, we've seen multiple different... Humans like impacted with their like mental health based mm-hmm. on on their like passenger do you feel like clock is one of those people where he like that sort of that feeling of of wrongness and rightness and being this sort of like violent space of fighting do you think that is is directly impacted like brain chemistry wise like from That's the passenger
0: a really good question and i am not sure i i would say that almost certainly on some level at mm-hmm. the very least just because like, Pavlovian conditioning of just, he usually feels right in a battle, so of course he's gonna seek it out a little bit more, Mm -hmm. and it's gonna self-reinforce. And and it's interesting, even in that fight, he felt calm when he's fighting against Trickster, which is, like, the epitome of wrong place, wrong time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) On a a different line, so going back to that maturity thing, Mm -hmm. um, so he starts off very childish, right? And I think just this... Example of his childishness is that uh, he, the main way that he uses his power, especially before he encounters Taylor, is freeze tag. Yeah, that's his power. It's to tag you it and or uh, tag and you're frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean that's a that's a, a child's game, and it's not until the Echidna a, a fight and basically when he starts steadying himself right in the wake of that yeah, that yeah. he starts branching out. I mean, he he always had like the the cards and and things like that and papers that he would stick in the air, but this is the first like really big difference where he has that gauntlet that shoots out the the fingers and cables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and yeah, I think that's just a really important moment of him taking things a lot more seriously and uh, the fact that it's a ranged sort of attack, I think is also significant that it kind of bridges that wrong place yeah, sort of yeah. thing it's a kind of this prescribed right place mm-hmm. so that's the main stuff i had for clock blocker obviously there's a lot more story left to go uh but uh, i wanted to go to a, a character or uh, a listener comment who asked i'd be curious to hear a discussion how dennis slash Clockblocker is presented as a foil for taylor um mm-hmm. grumpy toast is asking this Uh, Very few people, especially heroes, ever shake Taylor's conviction, but he does. His conversation with Yamada highlights how disillusioned he is, and that's before the triumphant reveal. I feel like we were supposed to respond to this during the overview episode. I don't know if we did. Um,
1: Mm, I don't remember if we did or not.
0: But regardless, we can respond to it now, or or again, if we already did. Uh, So as an opposite for her, I mean, it's interesting because they both, you know, hate authority. Mm -hmm. um, And...
1: He, though, he, his position in this sort of, like, questioning and disillusionment of authority is, is one that he has been in the position, like, he has seen it in inside of authority, I guess you could say, like, mm-hmm. the inner workings that only they would show to their, like, little, like, inner group, um which I feel like, I feel like that's why he sets it up, he's set up as, like, a foil for Taylor, because Taylor has experienced the, the, kind of the, like, outsider perspective on how much the like heroes and and the uh like created no lawful i guess lawful pathways of of like dealing with conflict mm-hmm. um don't don't necessarily accommodate everybody or they have like a particular biases and slants and everything um yeah so i feel like his perspective while they both have like that disillusionment i feel like his his like positionality from like the inside gives him a specific amount of situated ethos. I feel like is mm-hmm. that is that the correct type of ethos that I'm thinking of, where it's like he's entering the situation with a prescribed amount of like authority and, and expertise.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, uh, go, go ahead.
1: Oh, so like when he enters, like when he when he engages her in conversation, um, especially in the little back of the van where he like can't not talk to her, he's like, I have to ask you these questions, and then she's kind of like. Oh my god! Like that is that is a lot of things that I've done. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think his the the coupling of like him being part of the wards, but then not fully believing in the like Im- imputability. I think of of their kind of their actions and their intentions. I think um, those two things, like combined, have like allow for allowed for Taylor to be um, uh, shooketh. You know.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh that is a great way to phrase things.
1: Sorry, I don't I don't remember what is the actual shaken? <laughs> shaken. 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 Oh, uh-huh. thank god. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, it's been a strange week. Yeah. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Um but do you know what I mean? Did that make any sense my rambling?
0: Um I think so. So you're basically saying that his internal perspective is is stable too. Mm-hmm. Uh because he's actually, like, in it. I mean, Taylor never actually really gave the, the PRT a, a chance, right? Yeah. So yeah. she doesn't actually know what it's like to be a hero. And uh, he can see the, the frustrations. Uh, I mean, they share the same frustrations with, with the authorities of how they're holding him back and things like that. Or holding them all back from from doing what they feel that they really need to be doing. Yeah. But also sees how just being on your own and not actually having an outside perspective at all or anyone's outside perspective on you leads you to do some pretty bad things
1: yeah oh oh that's what i was gonna say um is that i feel like too like a lot of her encounters with like the prt and with the boards like have been people who were like who who have held a certain amount of like moral haughtiness Mm -hmm. when speaking to her like when asking her questions about her like actions and 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 i feel like clock blocker does not necessarily present that front to her yeah he, he just kind like, of he,
0: he seems to acknowledge that like being a hero just just having the title is not really enough mm-hmm. because he he's more focused on like what is the actual results like am i actually making the world a better safer place when i'm out there i feel like i'm not as part of the hero organization yeah yeah whereas like arms master at the very beginning and some of the others uh just being a hero calling yourself a hero or like in taylor's argument against uh flashette is like that's all you need that you just need to be on the good side but that's not enough mm-hmm. although i mean most more of the heroes than the villains certainly are are better people but <laughs>
1: true true but yeah there there's that sort of like label equals specific type of value mm-hmm. um in clock approach i think yeah which i f- that's what that's what taylor walks around with too right where she's kind of like just because i'm deemed a villain just because i'm called a villain or call myself a villain does not necessarily mean i hold these particular values or that i find these particular actions or that i condone you know slaughterhouse nine levels of violence or anything like that Mm -hmm. you know
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a tangential thing, it just occurred to me that uh, Taylor... Re- do you remember when we were talking about Coyle and just talking about how, like, megaloma- megaloma- megalomaniacal... So Coyle, we were we were commenting on how his desires to uh, take over the city was very uh, megalomaniacal and, like, the, the belief that he's the only one that can do this, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Taylor has just... I mean, I mean... Right now, she's kind of dropped that, but yeah, over the course of uh, this part of the story, she became that exactly. Uh, yeah, she was definitely she, like super. She good she really yeah she believes that she's the only one that can hold the city together and and how it needs to be held.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I feel like as much as she like railed against Coyle's actions, she she really didn't like s- super address any of them besides Dinah. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which I feel like, I mean, she had like an alternative plan that involved Tattletail and everyone, but I feel like her her fixating on Dinah kind of like took her took her attention away from some of the other parallels of her and Coil.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I had some other small thing with um Clockwalker, but I think it, it's kind of something that I should have just mentioned earlier, so it's fine. You did. Um,
1: I really like though. I mean, I know it's very small, but I really like your concept of like how he's sort of, like, stuck in this, like, temporary action mm-hmm. of everything. Everything that he does is just, like, this temporary... He, like, he like places this, like, liminal moment upon individual people and it just, like, wears off. Yeah. So he's, like, everything that he does is, like, ephemeral.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is that, like, if he freezes someone... It, like, if he was facing off against, like, two villains or whatever, he freezes them both. Mm-hmm. He can't actually, like, lock down the win at all by himself. Yeah. He needs someone else to come in with cuffs and things like that. Well, I guess he could use his own cuffs, but the point is that his power is not alone to keep someone defeated at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's really sort of like a interlude or like a prelude prelude. He's very much a prelude type of power, which begs the question of does he have things that he has not fully developed yet? Mhm. You know, like does he have other powers that he hasn't fully explored?
0: That's a great question to ask.
1: Mhm. I know I will not get any answers, alas. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm I'm doing my best to do Poker Face every time. Um, yeah, so that's all I have for a claw blocker. Uh, obviously, there's a little bit less uh, material for him than, than Rachel has during yeah, this. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I, I did find it really cool how there was a full entire arc, just in by this part of the story, with a mm-hmm. character that, we get one interlude, and then we kind of don't really see very often at all because, you know, he's one of the heroes. Yeah, yeah. So
1: I just, I really like that there are so many dynamic characters mm-hmm. in Worm. You know, like even, I feel like even the static characters are, they still hold an element of, you know, like dynamicism. Di- mm-hmm.
0: dyna- dyna- dynamicity? Dyna- maybe? Movement? I don't know. They still, movement. and
1: development. How about, there you go. Um, Excellent. Yeah, because, Even if it's just like you view them as a flat character and then suddenly you have like background information, be it like a paragraph or an interlude. And then you're like, oh, my God, I have completely new perspective on this person.
0: Yeah. Sometimes there's retroactive development where we uh, see where they are now, but then we see how their past was and how it was even Mm -hmm. worse of a past. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's what I have on him. Let's move on to our next section. Yes. Uh, Before we get to the essays, let's go through our favorite moments that we haven't already talked about uh, just for a little bit. So hit me with a favorite moment from the last four, was it four arcs? six? I don't, I can't count. From the last section.
1: Five? That's five. Ish. Yeah, sure. I believe you. Um, Okay. I feel like I brought this up, but I felt the need to look it up and read it out because this, I love this piece and there was not enough time spent. Um, If we discussed Mm -hmm, it last time. Um, So I'm just going to read it because it just requires reading. Regent nudged me. With Gru gone, it's your job to lay down the law. No human sacrifices. He'd mimic Gru's tone of voice with a forced lowness. No human sacrifices. Did I really want to veto any possibilities when we were faced with threats like the Endbringers and Echidna? Phenomenal.
0: I love that. Yeah, I think, and then, then he goes on, he's like, you're not saying anything. He's like, what
1: are you doing? Like, come on, this is where you're supposed to refute. Go on. Yeah,
0: You're at least supposed to refuse on principle. Yeah. Come on. He, yeah.
1: he was just like a lot of fun.
0: Yes, yes. And I I had a, also uh, a moment, which I think like consistently makes me chuckle. Uh, when he first gets captured by Echidna, he's just barely holding on and pu- and pushing himself out. Uh, and he says, hey... And Echidna turns to him. And we, we first see this through Taylor's perspective mm-hmm. before we get into interlude, and We actually hear what he says. Uh, so we kind of already are, like, primed for, like, something happened over there. Yeah. So Echidna, uh, currently in a complete rage, turns to him and asks, what? <laughs> uh, and then he says, when you made my clone, can you give him a goatee? It's just, <laughs> it's so good. And then she just pulls a bit. It's like, yeah. you, he didn't have to do that at, at all. But, um. I don't know, he, he just, was just... He just felt that he had to.
1: He's such a great, like, character throughout this whole... Like, there's another point before when it's, like, raining and they're about to go um, and, and like, confront um, the teeth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Butcher and everybody, all the butchers. Yeah. But, and he's kind of, like, commentary, commentating. In the background where he's like, it's been 20 minutes. We're still out here. And she's looking all creepy. And I look terrible in a wet Uh, t-shirt. And they have this whole like annoyed interaction. And then he resumes his commentary. He's like, hmm, 23 minutes.
0: In the rain. It's great. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, no, He. I think... It, him and Imp both just continually over time just grow into better and better comedic mm-hmm. relief characters. I mean, now obviously there's so much more deeper than that, but uh, just their their humor beats just hit harder and harder. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have another moment?
1: Um, yes. And okay, so the other moment that which I don't know why like this has become like a theme where I'm like mm-hmm. strangely interested in all of the like biology of everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but there there's uh an interesting. It doesn't really last very long because, like, the sickness, like, wears off. But, like, when Taylor, like, emerges out of uh, Echidna, her, like, microbiome is, like, had been, like, replicated and then, like, made toxic by being, like, within Echidna, I think. Is that... Mm-hmm. Am I remembering that correctly?
0: That is definitely Taylor's theory, yeah.
1: Okay, because, like, she was sick for a moment, but then it kind of, like, wore off.
0: Yeah, just, like, all the, how, how there was evil bugs and stuff there was evil bacteria yeah Yeah.
1: which is like amazing you (laughs) know because we have the whole like like our our digestive tract of the like bacteria living within us right that we're kind Mm -hmm. of this like being made up of a whole lot of beings Mm -hmm. and it just it was so interesting that there's this like evil gut
0: bacteria.
2: Yeah. Um along.
0: When she first gets her powers, she ta- comments on how she feels like tingling or fizzing all over her body. Mm-hmm. And some people have theorized that that's the feeling of all the bacteria just continuously, uh, the bacteria on the surface of her skin continuously like entering her body.
1: Oh my God. Ah, oh, it's so interesting. Yeah. Because you don't really, really think gross. about the like, the really small, you know, like unicellular beings that are all kind of like mm-hmm. around us.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or even the slightly bigger ones, all the... Mites and whatnot.
1: oh oh mites. <laughs> horrendous. I mean I like bugs as a concept. Yes. I do not as like a concept. Bugs in reality. Mm. But mites, horrendous.
0: Uh, <laughs> they're on you right now. They're on your eyelashes. Oh my god.
1: Don't tell me these things. Don't tell me these <laughs> things. How am I to sleep? I already have like
0: Uh Yeah, just close your eyes. <sighs> it's fine. <sighs> and then they could to meet each other, cross lashes.
1: I don't know. They're just the bugs here are weird.
0: Here? Yeah. What do you mean here? Down
1: here in College Station.
0: Oh, okay, okay. So I strange. thought you were talking about like here as in, like your eyeballs. Oh
1: well, that's true. That they, they are like I have gnats that live in my place, but they only appear late at night, and they are horrifically attracted to my eyeballs. <laughs> like gnats! What are gnats doing around my eyes? I am
0: I am very concerned. And
1: then I like lost you, a mosquito in a mirror.
0: You wait. You what do you mean? You lost it?
1: Like I was going to kill it against the mirror, but oh, then okay. it disappeared. But then I couldn't find it again. And it was in an enclosed space into full the other, of light. So where did it go?
0: To the mirror dimension.
1: And there's like weird... Uh, anyways, we don't need to get mm-hmm. down into the strange holes that I have found <laughs> in this place.
0: Okay. Uh, another moment I <sighs> yes, really liked is uh, <laughs> just the, the the long, long list of charges mm-hmm. uh, that are levied against Taylor. I know we mentioned it last time, but it's just... It's there's a really funny moment where he's... Just, just like 50 counts of aggravated assault, uh, 13 counts of aggravated assault uh, with a with a human ability, and it's just so, so much. It's just
1: horrendous. It's like amounts. hundreds.
0: I so for our little interlude bit in the in the middle, um, I had half an idea to look up like times where someone had had like double digit aggravated assault charges, and just trying to mm-hmm. see how many years Taylor would get in prison if it was based off of that. Uh, but I couldn't really find one. Because they don't that exist? Was or was significant it's enough. Like I'm sure there are, selective. but I just I couldn't find... Yeah, it was probably just like nothing turned up when I searched like 10, 12, 30, 50 yeah. counts of aggregate assault and there was no results. So, which is really too bad. Uh, I suppose. But yeah, it's maybe a, it's that's good. Moment. Oh, well, yeah, but for research purposes. Mm, true. <laughs> um, and uh, then, and so of course, there's the puppy moments mm-hmm. with, with Rachel. Uh, that's... Wonderful. And again, I already mentioned last time, but Blasto's interlude. I love Blasto so much. And I love that whole thing. Also, there's an intense irony, or I keep using the word irony. and I don't think I'm, I think I'm forgetting how to use it correctly sometimes. it's uh, a
1: tricky one to know.
0: Where when he first gets that lab, I think we empathize with like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. He's got a fully tricked out lab. He can do anything. He starts making an Endbringer. And you're like, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. You, I, like, you, you have the, like, I want to see this character get overpowered feeling. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then Bonesaw comes in and just destroys him. It's like, oh, man. <sighs> he was just getting started.
1: There's so much potential.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Any other moments that you have in mind?
1: Hmm. Um. I don't know why mine all sort of, like, ended up with like noel bits but um there was well the, it's more of like a description like in the fight um, cuz the both both tongue and tail are described to be like prehensile mm-hmm. which to me is, is like a very like scientific perspective but it's like the like individual movement yes where it's like able to like grab things mm. isn't that what that means in my head that's what it means
0: yeah human it's a limb capable of grasping yeah
1: yeah, yeah. which is like I mean it's like this it's a perfectly reasonable explanation but it just just imagining like a tongue and a tail that like seemingly probably very large yeah being able to like grasp things capable that's just oh, horrendous <laughs> I mean I'm very aware that there's like animals that are like out and about who have tongues and tails that are capable of grasping things mm-hmm. but it just seemed like a lot from some like from a being so large
0: it's basically a her, I mean, her tongue is basically like a grasping tentacle. I pictured it like at least as thick as around as your arm. Yeah. Like at least. That's probably so. Probably more.
1: Wow. Terrifying. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oof. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is just that the uh, audiobook interludes for the section are so good. Mm-hmm. I, I already mentioned that, but there's there's so many fantastic interludes. So two fully like voice acted ones, which are Yamadas and uh, the Perihuman Online one. And there's multiple other ones that just have some brilliant effects that, like, really pull it all together. It's just wonderful. I, I went out of my way to listen to the audiobook chapters Yeah, yeah. of of the interludes. Okay, that is what we have for our favorite moments, unless if you have anything else. Um, I think that's it. Cool. All right, let's get into your essay. Ha-ha. What are we talking about? Okay, parents?
1: so um, we're going to go on a bit of a journey because I have a variety of different people that I want to pull from. Um, but an overview is that we will be discussing... Uh, the soul, and maybe identity in, like, materiality, right? So it's kind of this, the permanence of identity, which I suppose is an illusion, but, like, you know, under the guise of, like, a the transitive properties of like costumes and clothes and physical bodies
0: yeah as a quick aside i just i love so many of our discussions not necessarily on this podcast but so many of our discussions we like start talking about a thing and then we have to like acknowledge or like putting aside that there's actually no free will or whatever yeah and then we just move on
1: (laughs) it's just you know little side notes you know funny little post-its that we leave yeah um yes okay so before we begin i'm going to kind of like make a map um so that you know, we, we don't get lost in the interim. Um, so I kind of want to go around. I, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk through a few different writers and like theorists who discuss like clothing and dress, um, and embodiment, you know, kind of how those fit together. Um, and, and I must preface this, which I suppose all of that was prefaced also, but like, I, this is a specific thing that has influenced a great deal of everything is that I've been reading Shakespearean comedies, mm-hmm. um, which are full of transformation right so um i i had to pull in uh, castiglione who is uh he's a he wrote the book of the courtier um in uh, during the renaissance so that's like uh, late early 1500s late mm-hmm. 1400s in my head i don't have a specific date cuz i am a fool but
0: <laughs> i think it's perfectly all right <laughs> to not know the publication date of castiglione's what was it called uh,
1: book of the courtier
0: yeah, I, I'm aware of the concept, but I, I yeah. don't remember the... Yeah, I just know Basically that he's the like one
1: there, you mm-hmm. know, he's like around during the Renaissance. <laughs> okay. But um, but go on, yes. Yeah, so then, and then we'll look at a couple of French sociologists. And I was just going to look at Bourdieu, but then I like, I went down this whole path of Bourdieu. And then there was like this whole overlap with um, uh, Franco Berardi, who isn't French, I should definitely point out. Um <laughs> And Spinoza, who I also think is not French, and then Foucault, who is. um, Mm -hmm. And then we'll look a little bit at um, uh, Judith Butler and, like, gender theory and kind of uh, her, her, like, first postulations, uh, first postulations, sorry, about gender. um, And, and kind of, like, how clothes and identity and materiality sort of, like, all fit together. And, and, and really, I mean, with Bourdieu and, and uh, Butler, we can't really discuss any of that outside of the context of, like, class and gender. Mm -hmm. um because all of all of the things that we are kind of like that we use the all these like material objects we use to kind of make ourselves known um to others without like explicitly articulating um you know verbally or whatever that they we we use them to like kind of fit us into these specific groups of class and gender and you know other social classifications right yeah but okay so onward and upward sorry um then we'll we'll after we kind of you know look through all of that then then we'll look at the various manifestations in worm where there's we'll we'll look at costumes and then we'll look at civilian clothing and then this sort of like manufactured or like shared bodies, which seems um, but it like I don't know there's it's the whole materiality thing all mixed up together
0: mm-hmm. okay yeah let's go so
1: here we go uh first Castiglione um who okay so I said before you wrote wrote the book of the courtier but like The significance of that is that it it was this instruction manual. Um, I mean, it didn't read like a how-to book. It was like a, you know, story sort of thing where it's like with the prince where like, it's not a, it's not like a explicit etiquette book, but like it Mm -hmm. is. But
0: it's a guide. Yeah, Yeah.
1: it like tells you how to act and, you know, how to be in this like new public space where you kind of like, they were kind of making sense of this, distinction between public and private lives and that sort of thing um and kind of like how to like put upon one's like public self right with like dress um and and countenance and uh affectation they use that a lot um but so because that was like so prevalent during the renaissance a lot of the comedies play around with that concept of of using dress and like you know adornment to to identify uh like oneself specifically a lot of the times it's like with class and then sometimes with gender because it's shakespeare and he has a lot of fun with all of that the bending of rules Mm -hmm. um so he kind of like creates these spaces of like transformation and everything but the specific thing that i wanted to read out from castiglione um is from the second book i think because there's four books of the courtier or like four sections um they're very verbose you know the renaissance people Mm -hmm. um but so the specific thing was, uh, this one individual speaking, saying, uh, I do not say, oh, no, sorry. I do say that dress is no bad index of the wearer's fancy, although it may be sometimes wrong and only this, but all ways and manners, as well as acts and words, are an indication of the qualities of the man in whom they are seen. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like the, the, you know, the external dressing doesn't, is not, is not an absolute sort of, right. you know, uh, representation of an individual, but by, by choosing to wear individual things, by choosing to, to, uh, one thing over another, you know, one, uh, piece of clothing over another to indicate a uh, specific, like social, uh, rank, they, they are sort of like taking on this, they, they're, they're, they're kind of using costume and dress in the same way that they would acts and words to sort right. of formulate, uh, their, their like self. Yeah
0: what's the 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 what's the cliche uh clothes make the man right <laughs> yeah yeah so they, they c- sort kind of, of like literalized yeah
1: play around with that concept of like um in the taming of the shrew which is kind of a terrible play but um the beginning of it they uh they they really sort of like play around with that concept because there's this there's this tinker i think um or taylor i don't remember but um He's, he's like, kind of drunk outside of, like, a tavern, and and one of, like, a nobleman or something is, like, pick him up, dress him up in my clothes, and, like, talk to him and act like, you know, put him in my bed, like, pretend that he he is awakening from this dream and, and tell him that he's a lord, right? So that he's wearing these clothes and being talked to like a lord, so, you know, he will presumably, like, they're just playing a joke, but it's this sort of, um, this this suggestion of, like, there's all these, like, pieces that make you into what you are
0: right and if you replace enough of them you kind of just become that
1: yeah yeah but yeah so so the thing to pull from Castiglione is the concept of of dress as as something that can offer a a um, sort of like encasing where it kind of like you know mm-hmm. uh, fits you it, it provides you a structure that that perhaps you can fill but doesn't necessarily reflect how you actually are right. Which seems contradicting, but you know, I mean.
0: Yeah, it. it I yeah, it's never one hundred percent correct, mm-hmm. and it can never just be assumed that it is correct. I mean, I'd, like, there's always a some element of randomness in what you wear, usually. Yeah. Like yeah. why you decided over one thing over another, but the general trend at the very least are signals that you're giving off, and those signals come from a place inside of you too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, this whole interaction of, like, individual self versus, like, social self and, like, what you've the, – the options, like, that you've been handed versus, like, what – anyways, that's a whole nother conversation about free will again, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, okay, so we're going to continue on to uh, Bourdieu, who is um, – he's a 20th century French sociologist who writes about, like, class and, like, the material conditions that kind of, like, create and then maintain or, like, perpetuate class distinctions – Um, he also writes about space, so, you know, that's, that's why I like him. Uh, (laughs) Um, but I want to particularly look at his concept of habitus, um, which is this, it's like, um, the, like, structuring of, of, like, like, uh, the material surroundings. So this, this kind of, like, extends beyond, um, just, like, clothes. This is sort of, like, the entirety of your material conditions, um, and, like, possessions that sort of, like, mm-hmm. both reflect and then then kind of uh, underline your, your like, uh, class condition, where it's, like, the specific things that you, like, choose to, like, place around you have, like, kind of become, like, indicators of your individual life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, okay, so I want to read a couple of quotes from his book, his book, um, Distinction. But, okay, so the first one that I want to is um, every interior expresses in its own language the present and even the past state of its occupants uh, bespeaking the elegant self-assurance of inherited wealth the flashy arrogance of the nouveau riches the discreet shabbiness of the poor and the gilded shabbiness of poor relations striving to live beyond their means so it's like a lot of this is is more like spatially um oriented but like it it applies to the like the garb of individuals as well um Mm. of like holding on to both present and past selves, I would say. Um, obviously, this is much more, like, placed within, like, a, a like a material wealth sort of uh, definition. But mm-hmm. when looking at it in, in a, a, a identity kind of reading, I would say that there is this accumulation of both, like, present self and then, like, past consciousnesses, conscious yeah. selves, past selves, um, as this sort of, like, uh, almost this, like, superposition um, of, like, What you're wearing and and what you have to be wearing and like they like they like hold on all these like vestigial pieces of yourself you know
0: Mm -hmm. yeah these are decisions you made in the past when you were a slightly different person Mm -hmm. and they're affecting you now
1: yeah well because they also i feel like they impact your mentality of like how you perceive yourself now is like influenced by how you perceived yourself before you know or like reflecting back Mm -hmm. on your past self like you you are comparing yourself now to like who you were before that sort of thing where you're like constantly you know holding yourself up to who you knew yourself as you know what I mean
0: i think so
1: sorry i'm i'm really sort of like wandering around Mm -hmm.
0: Um, but you kind of have this past not necessarily ideal but sort of the same sort of thing where that is who you are mm -hmm. and you in the present even though that that idea of you being a certain way is not necessarily how you actually are in any given moment. So when you stray from that, you're trying to sort of right the ship and go back to how you are, the person that you are supposed to be, the person that wears these clothes and lives in this house and uses these objects mm-hmm. is this sort of person.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there's, there's all these like, you, you kind of create these like specific associations with, Particular objects, like based on your your interaction with them, like your bodily experiences, or like your social, you know, uh, observations, I would say, where, um, like they they have like acquired these particular kinds of of associations, um, which hold on to that concept of like things, um, kind of acquiring particular associations, because I feel mm. like that's very important um, in the discussion with worm and like costumes and kind of how to construct or or make or purchased costumes um, mm-hmm. yeah there was another piece of this
0: well related to that so just as an example that m- is helping me understand so mm-hmm. like uh my phone is a uh, very th- the case is very ugly and the screen protector is very cracked and so every time that i look at my phone and i see these things i'm reminded that i am a person that is okay with these things mm-hmm. and i have to justify that whenever there's some conflict or someone says, get a new screen protector or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm. this is what I, I'm used to. I don't want to, uh, you know, and I, I come up with whatever uh, reasons that I, I need to in a given moment to justify why I am the way that I am. Even though, like, I don't necessarily have, like, any real big reason to, to hold on to these things.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's just because that is the person that I am because of past actions, because I haven't changed that yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You've kind of like your, yourself is like inscribed upon the actions or the inaction of your phone and the cracked case and screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that's all I wanted to bring out of, of uh, Bordeaux. Yeah. I may come back later if I feel it may be important, but um, okay. So with Franco Barretti, um, he is a Italian Marxist. Actually I don't know if he like particularly ascribes to Marxist thought specifically or if he's just sort of like leftist. Okay. So I won't I won't say either which way. But he's Italian, I'm fairly certain. Um and he writes this book, Soul at Work and where where he's talking about like, you know, wealth and, and, you know, the the value of wealth being, you know, monetary versus like leisure time and all of this and he has this whole like treatise on, on kind of how we can kind of reform the way that we orient ourselves in in our system but what i want to bring up is the very beginning of it um when it's not really him talking at all he's just sort of like recounting some of the things that uh spinoza and uh foucault talk about um in terms of like bodies because he he is talking about the soul that like not the soul of like you know the spiritual soul but like the the one that you know is within the body right this like materialistic soul the one that like animates Um... Mm.
0: So, like, your consciousness. Yeah. That kind of soul. Yeah. The decision-making. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like, I feel like you could also, like, use the term, like, just, like, life, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, whatever is, is you know, making our heart beat. I mean, not, like, in the very, like, literal sense of, like, breath, you know? But, like, this this very, like... Uh,
0: the difference between just a... Physically rooted. A, a dead human body. Or, like, uh, a human body that is not acting mm-hmm. at all and a body with yeah with a life and personality and life and
1: personality and i mean obviously with him he's thinking about like labor and everything but um his quote from spinoza is like uh what the body can do like that is what its soul is right this this action is what makes a soul of an of an individual and Foucault's talking about like he's talking about like the uh modernity which which i mean if i if i reference go back to what I was talking about with like discipline and, discipline and punish where like the way that we kind of control bodies and like how we, how um, state implements punishment has, you know, like shifted. So like modernity is, it's all about like disciplining of disciplining of the body, but like this sort of like kind of conditioning and, and, you know, uh, creating the, the situation of like creating like a routine for the body, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, Oh, here it is. Here it is. Okay, so building the institutions and devices capable of subduing the body through the machines of social production. Right. So they're talking about like work and and um, labor and and this sort of that sort of relation of like individual and labor and like um, like large economic production. But I wanted to focus specifically on this concept that of of the soul of like life in in action. You know, as like what the body can do and what the body is you know Mm -hmm. and i feel like a piece of like the disciplining um of the body is this sort of like adornment kind of like what we place upon ourselves to to sort of like signal who we are you know what i mean
0: i think so so are you talking about essentially like as someone does something like work right their soul and that or identity uh shifts to basically become a person that does this work Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah that like becomes a piece of their identity because of what mm-hmm. they can do which i feel like that seems to be particularly poignant when we're talking about individuals who who make their identity so so heavily around what they can do and what their bodies can do or i suppose mm-hmm. their minds too because their passenger is like in their mind mm. Anyways. anyways right. yeah like is that is there like that materiality of their powers is that part of their body or part of their mind or is there like no separation
0: I think I think it's along the lines of of no separation. Well, like it is an extra sense usually. Mm-hmm. So that is an added like aspect to the mind, uh but like everything that it affects, right, is is the body. All all of Taylor's bugs is the body.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh my god, I totally don't know why I didn't think about that as like an additional sense.
0: And I mean it, it, the the idea of a of a sense gets even more complicated when you just have like normal Power, like trickster's power, mm-hmm. right? Where he essentially like weighs different objects and can can snap them between each other. But he doesn't. He describes it as if like there's a line between them, but I, I or like a tether that's like vibrating. Yeah. Uh, but I think he doesn't actually like see it or anything. It just sort of it just feels it's just that like a way. Feeling. He's using. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. It's like every time we get the description of how a power works mm-hmm. and described to us. It's essentially, like, telling a blind man what color looks like. Yeah, yeah. Where you can sort of do it, but not really.
1: Yeah, it'd have to be very, like, synesthesia. Yeah. Hmm. Fascinating. Yes. All right. There was another... Th- okay, so this is the last. This is the last little piece of theory that I wanted to pull from, but I felt like it was important to note um, from Judith Butler's... Uh, actually, her, it's an essay about, like, performative acts and, like, gender constitution. Okay. Um. It's not from her, like... Big fancy, uh, gender theory book, but um, it was it's it's about like the concept of like gender is not being like a stable identity, right? So it's like it's it's rather this sort of uh it's like an identity tenuously constituted in time, right? So this this is quote an identity instituted through a stylized repetition of actions, right? Like stylation stylization of the body, and hence you know like must be understood as like the mundane way in which like bodily gestures and movements and enactments of like various kinds of like, uh, of various kinds constitute the illusion, right? Of an abiding gender itself. So there's this, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, the way that, that one conducts oneself, um, uh, this, this, uh, second wave, like French feminist, uh, Simone de Beauvoir, whose name I can mm-hmm. never pronounce correctly, but she's a phenomenal writer about language too. Um, she says, uh, one is not born, but rather like becomes a woman because like there's right. all these like social aspects to, To like, take in and enact.
0: Yeah, that gender is perform. Mm-hmm. Gender is a performance just like any other aspect of identity. Like, yeah. uh, I remember in some of my classes um, in performance literature, which uh, was a, was a, an, an intro course that was basically, like, performing poetry and stuff. Oh. Uh, but uh, one of the things that it was emphasizing was of how when you are, like, when you are in class, you are performing the act of student, right? Mm-hmm. And when you go talk to your parents, you are performing the act of son or daughter or or child or whatever else. Uh, and you kind of become a different person in mm-hmm. every scenario mm-hmm. that you are in. And this is just another aspect of that.
1: Yeah, it's really like we're we're very like unstable creatures, you mm-hmm. know, because like so much of is so much of what we are is is reliant upon like doing you know like we can't even when we're you know being there is that that you know uh whatever type of verb tense you know the ing of it there's always there's always movement even in stagnation Mm -hmm. you know
0: yeah i I almost want to push back against the idea of unstable Mm. and just just liquid or because i feel like yeah unstable implies like that We are set to fall apart at any moment, Mm -hmm. and I feel like, for the most part, we just slip into another role. Yeah,
1: that's a good, that's a good uh, term to use, liquid. Yeah.
0: We feel the shape of whatever role Mm -hmm. that we're in.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: To, to, (laughs) to really use the metaphor.
1: Ah, ah, visual metaphors are so wonderful, you know? Yes. Glorious. But.
0: That's a whole essay unto itself, which I feel like could happen uh, after you read Packed and Pale, so, uh, so do that.
1: (sighs) Yes, I'm very excited about that. Also, I totally didn't mean to, but I was thinking about the concept of like literalizing, mm-hmm. you know, like becoming like tangible. And and yeah. I feel like so much of the way that like costumes function in Worm is that sort of like making making tangible pieces of of individual identity. Um, oh yeah. Specifically, I'm totally skipping to the very end because, but I really liked this point, so I'm going to bring it up now. Um, is <laughs> uh like. A huge amount of particularly this book, I think, but I mean, it's, it's pretty prevalent for like a lot of, a lot of the story is um, like clothing and like costumes are, are this sort of, they're not just like a reinforcing or like a reflection of identity. They're like, when they change, there is this like, they, they become the like material, you know, image of like moral or behavioral transformations of the characters. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, the 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 civilian i'm i'm gonna jump ahead and go to the civilian piece of it um of of taylor like her her sort of like evolution of of civilian clothes really sort of reflects her own like mentality and like how she fits into her body and to her like uh her leadership and like positionality within the group and Mm -hmm. like within her different like within the variety of of relationships that she has um because the first the first sort of like transformative moment um is back when her and lisa are shopping where they're talking about it and she's kind of like oh i don't know like i this isn't what i usually wear like i can't i can't imagine myself in this because i because it's like crop tops and like all of this and like there's um lisa's talking about she's like you 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 have the capacity to like make these bold choices and i'm giving you these like physical pieces to sort of like you know wear it until you can sort of thing Mm -hmm. that very like the very castiglione sort of thing of like you can don this this you know get up or whatever um and by doing so you can sort of like place your mind in a place that, that, you know, allows you to make those more, you know, daring decisions. I
0: think her wearing different clothing like that certainly influenced her ability to, you know, go over to Brian's place mm-hmm. and go in there with the idea of not just being a friend or yeah. not uh, not being entirely. I, I feel like she would have been much more uncomfortable had she not already been having that pressure on her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like the clothes sort of, um, they almost sort of like lower the barrier of entry into this place mm-hmm. of of you know like self-confidence for her yeah because like so much of the beginning arcs is is her sort of like thinking about how she is and who she is and how people are perceiving her and all of this and she's like super aware of that and then i mean there's also like a whole bunch of other stuff that are, is occupying her mind now but like like the the level of confidence and like the so little amount of of thought we get when she's like dressing um in the beginning of of arc 20 where she's like putting on the strapless top and like the cargo pants where she's just kind of like doing her little checklist and she's got you know she's brushed her teeth she's doing all huge amounts mm-hmm. of other things um
0: yeah they're not even decisions they're just yeah, it's just kind of she's just putting on clothes mm-hmm.
1: and then she goes downstairs mm-hmm. and her dad's like you're going to school like that like what are you doing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um well at least that's how i read it he seemed slightly indignant <laughs> um, and she was just kind of like, what do you mean? Like, this is just, this is, this isn't even something it's hot outside. Yeah, like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. So it's just
0: this where I, I think it's, um, on um, just uh, along those lines mm-hmm. at the very beginning, we have a lot of emphasis on her wearing these all covering clothes and, uh, like just, I mean, from the very first chapter, right. She has all that juice poured mm-hmm. on her mm-hmm. and we make note of how there's stains all over her, uh, I think it's like dark gray or dark brown or dark green Mm -hmm. hoodie. Yeah, Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. There's a level of like, there's almost like a reverse level of care, which seems so strange to think about it that way. Because Mm -hmm. like when she was so consciously thinking about what she's wearing and like how others were perceiving her in that in that more like self conscious kind of way, um, it it was almost like like I don't even know how quite to describe it, but, but like there was there was there was more awareness, but, like, less, like, um, like, adventure, I suppose. I don't want... That's not the term that I'm looking for, but, like, there there is much more, like, practicality, I would say. mm mm-hmm. And... Or, like, uh, caution. But then, like, later on, when she... She isn't really thinking about what she's wearing, like, there is much more abandon in it. Yeah. Yeah. So then there's, like, a level of, like, comfortability in this, you know, like, before it was very much, like, ill-fitting. And then now she's just kind of, like, unthinkingly comfortable. Which, although, like, later on, we sort of see, um... With the sundress, there there's there's still that sort of like awareness of sort of like who who she is and who um, how she thinks about herself and like her her like femininity because like the sundress, she's like oh this is totally not me at all like this is me blending in mm-hmm. um, where she she's like oh like I'll hide in plain sight all of this you know I've got like this huge hat and <laughs> the sandals and like all of this and like the shopping bags and she's like so carefully cultivated an image of of carefree um which there's this there's this term that castiglione uses um in the book of the courtier where it's called a uh, sprezzatura which is this sort of like carefully culti- cultivated like uh carelessness mm. which seems like an oxymoron and it absolutely is um where like you're supposed to like pretend that you don't care but then like you have to be very 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 careful about not caring you right. know what i mean yeah yeah and so it seems like she's she's sort of like created this, right? She's created this scenario um, on her little like outing. But then, well, it just this journey, like this dress goes on such a journey, <laughs> you know. Like uh-huh. it's it's only like two maybe th-
0: two chapters. T- two
1: chapters does yeah. she because the she encounters the the uh,
0: well labor yeah, right? right. I don't
1: remember when she encounters so them.
0: she goes she goes to meet uh, Guru in Satrine. Yeah. The they have that meeting, have meeting. which is. Uh, and then she, you know, wakes up and leaves. Yeah. And uh, then she has a meeting with actually Miss Militia and uh, Flechette and Perrin, I think, yeah. that same She's day. She's
1: wearing the sundress? Because that totally changes so. that entire scene. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. But so, like, so she enters into that meeting, like, you know, covered in sunscreen, all this. Like, it's very, like, fancifully, you know, made into into this this, you know, character, I would say um, you know, the sundress character. And then she like goes about business, you know, kind of confronts this emotional moment between her and grew um, or well, between her and Brian. And then we awaken and, and it's on like she she kind of like re like um adorns herself with with mm-hmm. the sundress, but then like now it's like grittier and like now it has like dirt on it and plaster and everything and then she like has all the bugs all over her body kind of like of clean course. her. Which is horrifying to th- think about.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, they're basically, like, just a bunch of hands and fingers. I mean, they're her own that's true, extensions just, of like, her body. The
1: concept of just, like, the visual image of this. I
0: mean, they are still bugs, and she didn't exactly wash them
1: Yeah, they're still, before. like, bugs. I mean, it's both horrifying and also, like, really fascinating um, and striking. Because she's kind of, like, clothing herself in both this, like, this facade that, like, has sort of, like been you know revealed to be so right this person that she's like dressing up to be isn't like that's not who she is but like it's still there's there's elements to it that are her right so now she has like the bugs and and she's she's sort of like taking on this in less of like a um a theatrical way i would say because now she's like got to go about business again um right yeah but yeah, and then I, I feel like also the bugs sort of, like, contribute this sort of confidence that she didn't have when she was wearing just the sunscreen and summer dress, right? And then mm-hmm. when she's, like, headed back, she has all of this, like, physically on her body, but then also she has, like, the construction workers come and, like, sit around her. So it's this almost, like, extension of of her, like, authority yeah. on her way back.
0: Although I think they were doing it, I think, because... uh. Well, actually, I actually don't remember. I don't remember which way it settled. If it was just because she's a girl traveling alone or because they recognized yeah. her. I can't remember.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's both of those, though. Like, mm. even whichever way it settled, like, her identity is, is sort of, you know, kind of this, like, duality. Although she has, like, a large amount of power. But the the image that she's, like, putting out, that she's, like, allowing to be reflected. But... Yeah. Yes.
0: So that is Taylor's civilian clothing. That's true.
1: Oh, before we get to anything else, um, because I put it in the civilian attire section, and I don't want to forget, because I'll definitely forget if I don't mention it now, um, is Mm -hmm. uh, during arc 22, the, the whole, like, we were talking about the, like, procedural things that she was kind of dealing with, like, with the shower and, like, having to don the clothes that she was handed and all of this, like, she's...
0: When she's captured at the PRT. Yeah, when she's at the PRT. Held, held at the PRT. Yeah. She
1: has been, like, stripped of, like, all the material pieces of her identity, right? Of every single one of her identities. Um, I mean, previously, like, we had that sort of, like, starting to devolve in um, Arc 20 with the high school scene, but, um, uh, yeah, in the in this whole Arc 22, she's sort of, like, there is this... This, like defamiliarization of herself just by by going through these like particular um, motions that are kind of like acting upon her body you know like on upon her mind in the way that like the seat is definitely like kind of created those things to do um but it was it was sort of interesting because it's like this reversal of of all of the like clothes and and costumes that she's like donned over the yeah
0: she's what's it, it's interesting to me that she's this is a moment where she, you know, appears the most taylor, mm-hmm. right? but she is entirely skitter. that like that is how they they're treating her. they're not treating her as taylor. Yeah. they're treating her as as skitter.
1: yeah. it's particularly um interesting sort of like uh tearing down i think of my entire argument about about <laughs> costumes and like how they how they contribute to like identity where like with her like all that has been taken away but like they're like she still is she is you know like she still holds the like intrinsic pieces of herself and like no Mm -hmm. no amount of like material you know defamiliarization will be able to you know take those pieces away Mm -hmm. because they're sort of like embedded within her oh there was this wonderful thing that i read earlier about the concept of like space inside oneself you know like Uh you gotta like you don't have space outside of yourself so you must build space within you but not like you know like on this you know physical plane but like just like space to exist and think and be haha without okay. the ing um but like yeah i feel like i feel like that's kind of what she she has been sort of doing in the addition of all of these like she's she's sort of been like preparing herself i feel like and i feel like every single one of the pair of humans sort of have been preparing themselves to like kind of building this like interior self because they live so much of their life in this sort of like like, um, shifting between identities, you know, there has to be, like, pieces of themselves that they hold on to.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, what are those consistent things that they, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think, I think one thing, the, the only object I can imagine that stays with Taylor all the time is her glasses.
1: Yes. Yeah, I wonder about those, you know, that's just...
0: Because she put them in her goggles, too. Mm -hmm yeah which i think you could easily use as a metaphor for how she continues to view things in a bully uh victim dynamic even when she's in costume yeah her vision is literally that of her past mm-hmm. self
1: yeah she can just sort of like she stays within the mentality like the grooves in the path she's like already ridden so deep that like she can't really like unthink that mm-hmm. yeah but, okay so costumes before we get terribly off track and I definitely am going yes. a very long time I'm sorry
0: that is okay I mean this is a fascinating topic we, we honestly we could we could do a whole like we, the whole episode could just be about costumes, costumes and, so and looking at them in different ways yeah yes yeah but main points
1: main points okay so there's a variety of different ways that like that you know the use of costumes are like used and I feel like uh, uh, the whole of like the parahuman community is sort of like they're reinforced by this costumes like material garb i would say or like you know raiment or whatever um has like two different things like both it's it's sort of like obscuring or like mystifying individual identity Mm -hmm. or like specific identities um and then also like contributes to the creation of like a second or other self right yeah um that's what it does like on an individual level but then there's a whole nother level of of sort of like a accumulating i would say like social capital you know where um Mm -hmm. because they they well not like explicit of like oh we're all gonna wear like this specific sign or like this specific color scheme or i mean i guess they sort of do that some but like the they they can act as sort of like classifying into groups you know Mm -hmm. like thematically
0: yeah yeah uh, actually i like uh, accord notes when he meets the the, the teeth, or mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure, is basically, like, I think this was mentioned in other places, but basically on how teams often, like, they they won't intentionally have a theme going into it, but just because they're around of other around a bunch of other people, they end up in subconsciously imitating or mm-hmm. taking elements from one or another, and so they end up looking thematic if they're, like, a team that has been around for a while. So, like, the teeth, even though they, like, never, ever, like, you know, really... I mean, they like to look scary, but it's not like mm-hmm. they're making fashion choices. They end up, you know, using a lot of skulls and other and red and yeah. other things like that.
1: Yeah, it's very much like a like an old married couple sort of thing, or like a owner and dog, where it's like you kind of inevitably mm-hmm. end up looking like each other, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the underside are another great example of that, where when they bring another. At the very beginning, there was no talk of, like, this is how we look, mm-hmm. right? There was none of that. But by the time they bring Perry in, they're like, okay, you need to change your costume to be black and threatening. Yeah.
1: that Their their costume saga um, is, is a really interesting one to me. Because they all had, like, individual costumes before. And there was, like, a conversation, like, way at the beginning with Taylor about, like, making costumes, right? For, like, others. Because they were all, like, intrigued mm-hmm. by... By her, like spider silk, right? And and there was that conversation, but it didn't really come to fruition until like way later.
0: Um, yeah, until the fifteen, I 15? think, right before Coil. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, yeah, where they all kind of like gathered, and then she sort of, she was sort of like thinking about it um, after they, after they fought the slaughterhouse nine, where she's she's mm-hmm. kind of like lamenting, you know, that she hadn't like better outfitted the team, um, which I think was a really particular, uh, a really peculiar, I think observation, in my mind, I suppose, because she was so Mm -hmm. very, like, dead set at the very beginning of, like, you have to be the one to figure out about your costume, and, like, you know, it's it's this, like, do or die of, like, you should probably make it because if you don't, then you're lame, or, like, if you, like, (laughs) put it together with stores and you, like, looked dumb, and, and she was very concerned about this concept of, like, not looking cool or sleek or cool. whatever
0: yeah 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 i mean we yeah we, we've previously mentioned a lot of those moments of like she's worried about looking cool or, or not looking lame or not sounding lame yeah. that carry over from from high school when uh, <laughs> she's fighting giant monsters yeah, and and murderous people and she's still concerned about just sounding dumb
1: yeah but then like later on she's sort of like she's much more geared towards the the uh practicality of it
0: i wonder what the last time that Taylor refers to herself as saying something or being lame mm. is because I think that would be an interesting moment to find.
1: I don't know if I can think of any beyond the Leviathan attack. I think I feel like there must be a few.
0: I think there. I think there must be like a couple places, but not many more. C- certainly by the end of the Slaughterhouse Nine arc, I think she's done. Yeah, well,
1: because she's she's sort of like fully come into her role as like the leader of yeah. the Undersiders. And I think at that point, she's kind of like, there's no time to be worrying about these things. There's so yeah. much other stuff that we got to do. Yeah. But it, it, the the thing that I really wanted to note about her, like, crafting everyone else's dress, like, all of their costumes, is that um, she closed her team kind of like a cord in the terms of, like, she's the one that's, like, putting everything together, mm-hmm. oh, which, I mean, for her, it's much more like, it's about the, like, care and protection of, like, her friends and all of this, and she, like... I feel like, though, there is, like, an underlying, like, similarity of, like, the control over the the materiality, I would say. Or, like...
0: Yeah, probably. You know what At I At mean? least subconsciously of, like... Yeah, I don't yeah, think she, she, w- don't think to- she would,
1: yeah. like, actively be, like, there is this... Because she has that whole conversation with Rachel of, like, well, we're just, like, well, what are the strings attached to this? Because, like, I never get gifts without strings. And then she's, like, well, nothing, you know, like, it's fine. But there is... I mean even if there's no other intention besides like i've made you a costume now we are a group and you can't leave the group mm-hmm. sort of thing like i feel like i feel like that sort of gift can't be totally unattached you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah i mean rachel certainly would find it much more difficult in the wake of that to just take it and leave yeah yeah
1: it's yeah. sort of it's sort of like a a token of like loyalty or like a guarantee of loyalty cuz i feel like that's kind of what yeah. happens with perian like once she buys into the team, they're like, "Okay, we're gonna like change your costume and everything."
0: And then you'll be one of us. Yeah.
1: And the Fletcher gets all mad because like she recognizes that indication of like by changing by changing her her costume. Then then Perian has accepted a great deal more of like behavioral and and allegiance shifts. You know, something that's much more right. permanent than just like donning a new outfit. You know what I
0: mean? Mm. Yeah. I, I want to note real quick something that um, we haven't really talked about, Clarence, is how uh, Flachette is sort of joining the Undersiders.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because she, she kind of, because she becomes her lieutenant, right? She becomes Perrion's lieutenant.
0: Yeah. And Perrion is an Undersider, which ergo Ooh, that's means... true. Oh, I just yeah, wanted to that note is, that. That
1: is something very, oh, I'm kind of excited about that. Because she's, she's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like she would, I feel like she would fit in. With all of them.
0: I wonder, that piece of metal that she punched into uh, Taylor's shoulder, I wonder if it's still there post uh, scapegoat.
1: Oh. does Probably Does Fletcher right. have, like, can, can she, like, remove the darts that she is, like? I don't think okay, so. Okay, I, I didn't know if it was, like, a...
0: <laughs> I think she could, like, she could cut it out because her power would just, like, cut through everything around it, but, yeah. uh, yeah, mm. no. Uh, I don't, she can't just, like, plop it out, yeah. no. Because it's bonded.
1: Oh. <sighs> Ugh, horrible, but also very cool. But go on. Anyways, yes, very anyways. cool.
0: Sorry, I interrupted.
1: Um, yes. Oh, oh. There, there was another thing that I. There was a couple of things that I was sort of like tracing through. Um, that I wanted to make a note of that I wasn't. I mean, I don't know if there's anything like to say about it, but I just feel like it's something that should be noted. Um, is that like when when Taylor making these costumes, like for her, like friends and and allies and everyone, like the material and herself, like the material that she uses is the same that like she like weaponizes you know so there is mm-hmm. this sort of like commonality mm-hmm. like everything is made to be into fighting gear right so it's like mm-hmm. you're sort of like clothing yourself in like violent adornment yeah um and then it sort of like becomes even more literal um when she uses like the bugs as like a makeshift mask and like yeah. that sort of thing and like when gru uses his like darkness as makeshift you know yeah. and even i would say even like a further extension of that is like um the when the bodies are like individuals bodies like when they're uh, altered in like trigger events or like the case fifty three's like there's this like you you have become something that like is inherently violent, you know, or like inherently yeah. holds the potential for violence, you know what I mean?
0: Right. I mean, yeah, when Lung goes dragon mode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He it, Yeah. Yeah, there's like there's no there's no talking anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it just—it seemed like a really fascinating thing of this concept of like so readily do the costumes transition into into pieces of of like like literal pieces of themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and even still, it's 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 continuing down the same path of like obscuring I- identity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: just as something more of a aside as well, I I would find it very interesting to compare. How Worm treats secret identities and costumes versus something like uh, like Batman, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think the the line between each alter ego is much less stark than it is in like comics, especially mm-hmm. with an example like like Batman, where Bruce Wayne is an entirely different performance, like completely different, yeah, to Batman. Like not only in like you know he's not fighting crime and stuff and he's you know acting the part of a billionaire but also as in like he's usually a little bit more i don't want to know i don't know about cowardly but like Mm -hmm. like yeah it obviously depends on the writer Yeah, but but, like the um, intrinsic
1: bits aren't necessarily they don't necessarily carry over
0: yeah yeah or um superman and clark kent where he does like he becomes like a cowardly person yeah uh just to differentiate himself um
1: yeah that is very interesting.
0: Where it where in this in Worm I mean I'm sure there are some examples of that but almost entirely it's like it, it's more the kind of daily I am now a student I am now Yeah it's like oh know, I got to go to the grocery sports... store like I can't go yeah.
1: dressed up in my garb yeah. I I want to wear a t-shirt and you know flip-flops or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so like they act they do act differently and they are like I mean if you change their their If you, if each ego, you uh, change their faces and voices and appearances, they would appear basically as, they wouldn't act the same, they wouldn't look the same, so they would basically be, like, different people. Mm. Uh, They are still, like, a lot more similar than characters in comics. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's not quite as much, uh, it's much more, like, superficial, the shifting.
0: Yeah. 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 Of course, that's not always true. Like, Peter Parker and Spider-Man are usually pretty, pretty aligned, but, but yeah.
1: Yeah, but there's usually much more like harsh line drawn. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's also because this community is so large, like the parahuman community. Like it, it's a it's an entire world that like you can't you can't just like not be a part of. I guess mm-hmm. you know, like there there's it's just like a whole nother register of like existing in like a group setting. It's not just like an individual kind of lonely existence. I mean, I guess a lot of them, some of them do live in, but but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Oh, okay, so I I also really wanted to talk about the gala attire for Accords Minions.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yes.
1: Because just, like, in terms of, like, physical fighting, that's, like, really, really impractical. Like, mm-hmm. to be fighting in, like, a suit or, like, a dress. I mean, Yeah. It just, it's it's so strange, because he's, like, he's one who's, like, always about solving problems and, like, being very, like, you know, yeah. like, anticipating every single detail. And I feel like that's a detail right, that it, he should have anticipated.
0: And they're not, they're not even like, actually they're, they're super armored suits or whatever. Yeah, no, or tr- actually, they actually hide a bunch of knives in them or anything like that. No, they're yeah. just, this is just they're very like nice clothing.
1: So peculiar. Cause it.
0: I wonder if like after every outing, they basically have to make a new one because it's been stained with mud and fire and stuff. Yeah, like,
1: I mean, how do they, how do they like go about transport? Do they like walk around? Do they take the bus? <laughs> I don't know. And they're like, what do you do? Anyways. We don't need to go into the details of it, but what I wanted to pick out specifically um, was what it said about, like, because he's, he's always, like, needed to solve every problem, right? And he's, like, seeking out these, like, very specific um, individuals that, that, well, if we look at, like, Citrine, right, he's, like, there. there is this sort of, like, embodiment or, like, I feel like there's a commentary about, like, like idealized beauty and, like, mm-hmm. his definition of what is perfect is is like a very l- limited definition. You know what I mean? Where it's like there's specific manifestations of of like particular human bodies and attributes and and clothes and everything that like I don't know. It, it seemed the fact that he he sought out this like perfection was like almost like a f- like a flaw. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In his like solving of problems mm-hmm. Um, because I mean they're not like by taking on these like you know clothes and like with her she's like wearing the yellow makeup and like all this like there is this this sort of like smoothing of like human imperfections Mm -hmm. into like this idealized beauty that doesn't really like exist yeah you know
0: he just wants to bring the world into order which includes every human body around yeah even though order is not really something that can be attained
1: especially with human bodies like we're like it's so disorderly and and i don't know like
0: yeah, I mean like, he's bothered by like everything. I mean she ends up breathing a little bit too hard because uh, I don't know how to say this, but <laughs> because of you know the effect that he's having oh, on her, yeah, yeah. and it that ends up bothering him a little bit too.
1: Yeah, see, like I, I don't know, like, it's he's like searching for perfection in places that it, like it doesn't exist, you know. Which I suppose that's sort of like his life that he's like stuck searching for, like order in a place that is absolutely no order at all it's full of chaos
0: mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah just as an a, extension of that and going along, going along with uh costumes when the travelers meet him mm-hmm. right part of his like in exchange i will you know let you be here and i will provide you a set of costumes i, I think basically oh, yes. like the, the the providing them a set of costumes is like not even a favor to them at all it's like
1: like requirement A mine
0: the most it's basically yeah it's basically I need you to look themed yeah. i I cannot have you not be themed like this uh yeah, it's very yeah. much
1: like this like prerequisite of like any sort of interaction with him, which I feel like does speak to like if he's if he's like having to like actively change individuals to make them into this like more ordered you know uh aesthetic i guess mm-hmm. um I guess that that speaks to like the looseness I guess of group you know like themes which each I suppose each individual still holds like that does that does raise the question though like about the identities of each of his like um like minions I, that's a terrible word to use but mm-hmm. like you know his
0: like yeah his, well his ambassadors, yeah,
1: ambassadors Um about that like their identity is really not like there isn't a space for them to, mm-hmm. to fully express, yeah, yeah, to yeah. express their identity because they're sort of like stuck in this sort of like painted on perfection
0: yeah the only like w- the only thing that really is them is that this is their power mm-hmm. right and that their power is reflected in their clothing however they didn't they weren't born with the power it is like affected by them right yeah. it is special to them but it is a, a cauldron vial yeah, it's still like where prescribed it's yeah it's not yeah it's not as an inherent yeah and it's like immediately controlled with the with being requiring a name and a costume and things like mm-hmm. that that a court chooses is what yeah, i'm saying yeah
1: everything is like placed upon them or like handed to them and their mm. their agency is kind of taken away
0: yeah they didn't get a chance to make it their yeah. own
1: but okay so we're going to do the very end of I had some other things but I'm not going to talk about them I just want to talk about the weaver costume if that's all right yeah okay. of course um yes okay so the weaver costume at the end is particularly interesting I think because we've we've sort of like in terms of like identity we've we've sorely we've sort of been like shedding identities as we go along Taylor has because like First, she said she she's like she kind of discards her identities as Taylor completely. Well, um, mm-hmm. she I I wouldn't say she like completely discard. She kind of tucks it away and is like, sure. this isn't going to be a public identity anymore. Um, and then sort of like yeah. goes along as Skitter for a while, which like there is like a very significant shift in her behavior, like her inhibitions. She's sort of like fully embraced her identity as villain and like Warlord or whatever. And then once she reaches the end of it and she kind of goes through this sort of like like you know stripping away of identity in terms of like material um adornment Mm -hmm. um during the the cell arc she sort of like is like creating this space i mean not during the arc like that's very like full of tension and all of this but like by the end of it she she has she has enough space to sort of like you know place upon herself a new identity because i mean it seems Mm -hmm. seemingly she we, we we sort of postulated that she could have been like chewing along on the concept of, of Weaver for a while, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I feel like it's something that perhaps she, she has she has been making room for, you know, and then now she has this like, you know, new costume and like this, you know, uh, rebranding of herself, I would say. Um, sort of the the costume sort of like acts as this like, you know, a way to like discipline her body to sort of like, Mm-hmm. remind herself into that she's no longer skitter mm-hmm.
0: she is weaver now yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, like costume you know like her costume meaning sort of like you know precludes i think um her actions you know um
0: yeah before she becomes a hero she's already mm-hmm. wearing the hero mm-hmm. costume
1: um there's another piece to that That was very important oh oh the other thing about it is uh, she doesn't make it
2: yeah she's yeah.
1: given it um by dragon mm-hmm. uh, which i feel like is very significant cause she made like a huge deal about the concept of her making her costumes and like throughout, she's like been the one to, to sort of like change things around and like make sure that she, like she, she has been the sole, you know, um, maker of everything that she wears and like, you know, her utility belts and everything. Like she's always thinking about her own ability to, to, you know, hone her, her, you know, um, array of like options, you know? Mm. And now with this, like it's, It's very interesting that she had no, you know, say in what she's wearing.
2: Yeah.
0: She didn't pick the color scheme or or anything Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And I think it's also just significant just the fact that it's not spider silk. It's just generic costume material. She's no longer armored, at least right now.
1: Yeah. So she sort of, she doesn't have those like expected, you know, invulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yeah. Very intriguing, I think, as she sets out to do her, her new hero work
0: something surely to keep in mind yes
1: uh and i wanted to talk about like defiant and dragon inhabiting the same space Mm -hmm. but i don't know i kind of want to hold on to that
0: yeah i think i think that's something that will definitely come up again and we can kind of use the understanding of costumes and stuff that we've understood here Mm -hmm. uh the next time we talk about that yeah for sure
1: yeah okay so i'm gonna leave it open because i feel like Mm -hmm. i feel like there's more to say about those two Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah so that's my sort of very long treatise about about costumes,
0: <laughs> you know and it's funny, I think that's just like a good starting point right yeah. like we have I don't think we've even explored everything that we can talk about with Taylor in costumes, yeah, I know. much less you know all of the other characters I know, there's just
1: so much that you could like delve into,
0: yeah, and I think um i'm I'm thinking of a couple particular things later on um or uh, things or people or powers i'm making it vague for you but i'm pretty sure the audience is gonna understand Hmm. what what i'm talking about uh where this idea of of costumes is really and and how it makes up identity and stuff is emphasized i think i can i'm imagining two already yes well i'm uh but bonus points if you can guess which ones i'm talking about put it in the comments section below (laughs) um okay uh so anything else that you want to mention before we Um, move on i think that's it Okay, that's it. It was only an hour and <laughs> twenty minutes. It was so of, long. Of I'm so sorry. Content. It's I have okay. so much to but say. I'm, I'm sure no one's going to complain. Okay, so in in this in between bit before we get mm-hmm. to mine, uh, we have uh, this time. It's not a uh, lighthearted little little mini thing, but a little concept that we want to go into. Uh, kind of related to to the stuff yeah. above. Do you want to explain it, Clarence? Um, okay,
1: so I I got really excited about this concept with like Dinah and Coil because um, Taylor was like really quick to point out the the like peculiar or like the like very unique way I guess that Dinah was like constructing her language and like kind of how Mm -hmm. she thought and like how she spoke. Um and and there's this particular term idiolect um that means like the like the specific, like individual Way of speaking, like this, this accumulation of right. all the interactions and 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 um, dialects that one has encountered, that kind of like get meshed together into um, individual ways of speaking and thinking and writing. Yeah. Um, and I felt like that was a really that was a really interesting thing to sort of comb through um, some of the characters in Worm, because I feel like language mm-hmm. and and alienation to language, I would say, you know, um, is is like a I feel like is a common
2: theme
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so you had a couple examples here I mean we could start with with Dinah and Mm -hmm. Coyle basically of how uh yeah Dinah is using phrases or 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 phrasing things in ways that that Coyle would which is very you know strange for a 12 year old and even after she leaves his clutches like when she goes and confronts tag she's still kind of using that sort of language uh sort of that can sort of symbolize how he, he's he still kind of has a hold on her from from the yeah, past like
1: how deeply his influence has like sort of like been carved into her mind mm-hmm. is it like the way that he speaks is like structuring her thought process yeah, yeah. but i don't know she had a really interesting it, way of speaking too like it sounded a little bit old you know mm-hmm. like not terribly old but just like old enough to be like noticeable especially if it's like a child speaking yeah yeah um
0: yeah. I mean, contrast with like Imp, who is only slightly mm-hmm. older <laughs> or, or or even Vista, uh, who kind of is in a somewhat similar place. Actually, like in my mind, they almost look the same, which is interesting. Uh, but Vista sort of putting on I, I i wouldn't say she's like putting on airs or anything like that. She's not I, I didn't know this in her language, her like intentionally trying to use big mm-hmm. words or, or stuff like that to, you know, feel bigger. Uh, but the same sort of thing of like, I I mean, being slightly more formal than someone of her own age should be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if she like Vista, I don't know if she deliberately, I mean, she does, she does like deliberately sort of like, you know, place herself in a different, like a higher social position. Mm -hmm. than. um, but I don't know if she like actively thinks about her language, like her own language. I feel like she spends a lot more time thinking about, um, everyone else's language around her and how they sort of like, Mm -hmm. Um, how they speak to her versus how they speak to everyone else.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I think she's so like sensitive to it that phrases and things that would be ambiguously condescending like something like a phrase that in one context can be condescending but in this context is not mm-hmm. are always to her classified as condescending yeah. like with when she talks to Yamada like some of the things that she's like like when Yamada, talks about, um, you could be a, a field therapist. Uh, like, yeah. there are certainly contexts and people who would say a phrase like that in a very condescending mm-hmm. way, but is not using it this way, but because Vista is so, uh, yeah, she she pays so much attention to it, she's always kind of assuming that and always fighting against it. It is classified as that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's like, she's just like hyper aware of how she's perceived Mm-hmm. and and sort of like alters her herself um, accordingly yeah. yeah but okay so there's um another group or actually well first a duo um that sort of have this like uh influence on each other about how they like interact um I and that's Burnscar mm-hmm. and Labyrinth um which we, we don't see a lot of Labyrinth speaking but we see mm-hmm. a lot of her communication um via like uh visual construction Um, uh, which i mean wouldn't ordinarily be like placed within like a language um but i feel like in this particular duo it would um because mm-hmm. they have i mean even if it's just referential they have um they have sort of like developed a way to speak to each other through this sort of interaction um where whereas
0: of like of like her surroundings sort of like speaking and sending yeah, a message yeah gotcha um i mean i think pretty explicitly when when Burnscar is there the message is you remind me of that mm-hmm. place
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a very, like, sort of heartbreaking moment between the two of them. But, like, I don't know. It it just seemed like a really fascinating, um, like, nonverbal way to sort of, like, articulate this, this, like, shared past trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I don't know. I don't know if that's, like, if one can, if you have to make a distinction between, like, communication and language.
0: I mean, I would just, I would classify anything that, like, a power is doing basically as another form of body language.
1: Mm, Yeah. Oh, that's...
0: Although yeah, I don't know if I would how I would classify that in idiolect, yeah, because does idiolect just refer to like the transcribed text of someone saying mm-hmm. things, or does it also include the tone and em- emphases that people are using?
1: I feel like it, it
0: I would argue it I think should it absolutely count does. those because
1: yeah okay, when you think about like dialect dialect right. kind of relies upon upon um the way that people speak and like the cadence that they hold and that sort of thing, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. That's what and I it, think, yeah. At the very least it cannot be understood without also understanding how tone and and yes yeah, speech pattern affects the things being yes. said.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um and then the other group that I wanted to bring up were um the the case fifty threes, um like mm-hmm. like Gregor the Snail and like Neuter and um Svetta. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Where they like they all have like they hold pieces of their past self, like these vests digital language you know elements or like linguistic uh idiosyncrasies they that have no reference at all so it's just Mm -hmm. like meaningless past i don't know or like jumbled past so like i don't know i feel like it's it's like the pieces of the dna that we like cart around in ourselves Mm -hmm. and like that yeah that we just like don't need but like yeah we have no way of like processing it or like not keeping it you know so they're just sort of like stuck with this past that they are super disconnected to.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, Gregor, uh, I I think at this point, you know that a lot of the case 53s are people snatched from other worlds, Mm. right? Like, like Alexandria was, was doing that. Yeah. Uh, so I think the implication, like when we look back at Gregor's is that he was taken from another world and his language is like Scandinavian, you know, related, but it's not a language that exists on this earth.
1: Yeah. Which is so fucking cool. (laughs) just you know there's all these like whole other worlds that have like so many new languages like what if there's a world that like there wasn't like the columbian exchange then all of those like you know people who were living on the americas like all of them like what if they all like still held on to all of their languages like the the huge amount of like biodivert like what if huh you know or like there were a variety of different species of the genus homo and like all of them developed language and it, it became even more diverse and we aren't, like, there's so many paths. Anyways, we don't need to go down that path. I'll <laughs> go way far down.
0: Excellent questions to ask.
1: But very fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like very jarring, though, to be handed, like, a language and a voice and, like, things that you don't know what to do with and you can't ever make sense of, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. I think... I think there's an implication that a lot of Case 53s are basically handed an understanding of English or probably whatever language they, you know, wherever they were dropped Mm -hmm. off. Uh, Because otherwise it's like, how did, I mean, Gregor could have like learned, but Sveta as well and Neuter as well and so many others. And Weld. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I don't think Weld has an accent that we know of. Oh, yeah. I I think he might have like a, maybe a New Yorker accent, but.
1: Yeah, because like how old was he?
0: I think he was like just like three years younger or something than he is now or something mm. I mean, relatively recent that he was dropped yeah. off but he wasn't like a child oh, okay either. okay
1: so he didn't really have too much time to sort of like develop into yeah, yeah. although i don't know accents can get acquired really fast
0: mm, that's true at the very least we don't have any mention of him knowing any other languages
1: yeah, yeah. Mm. yes oh and then the last one that i wanted to mention real fast was um the concept of like that, like, more like limited or like nonverbal communication that was present within, like, the nine, um, mm-hmm. with like mannequin and then, um, the Siberian and
0: Siberian, yeah, yeah, this sort of like, yeah,
1: this sort of, and then I mean, Brinskar does, but then I feel like also there's like a sort of like lyricism or like whimsy to like the communication of, uh, hmm That I mean, that's definitely verbal, but like, there is this, there is this sort of like, like, nonsensical element to like Mm -hmm. a lot of their communication
0: yeah i think bonesaw is a really great example of looking at idiolect because it's such the way that she speaks is very very intentional Mm -hmm. uh she is intentionally putting on this air of an innocent child because it pleases jack because they find it ironic and things like that she does the whole no swearing Mm -hmm. thing right uh even though later on during blasto's interlude she gets you know speared through the chest or whatever. And she I think she says fuck like yeah. right there, which is really just like a great example of the uh, her act just dropping Um and, But very often she like uh, a turn of phrase that she uses very often is like Jack says mm-hmm. Jack tells mm-hmm. me or whatever, just calling that back. And this is another example kind of like Dinah of this authority always coming into her language, albeit in a different way. Yeah,
1: yeah. But there is this sort of like structuring of herself and the way that she speaks around the authority.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's something to pay attention to for sure.
1: Well, did you have any other ones that you wanted to bring up?
0: Uh, No. Uh, th- Those were the ones basically. I-, I think Mannequin's also just an interesting one where I-, I think just that kind of nonverbal communication where it's super almost like uh, in- interpretive mm-hmm. is really interesting because he. For the most part, he only speaks in, like, yes and no, right? Yeah. Uh, like, it, when he's talking to Arma's Master, which kind of ends up, because these people are kind of guessing at what he's trying to communicate, it sort of becomes where they are speaking for mm-hmm. him, and they kind of have influence over what is said. Because you can kind of imagine where someone says something that is close, but not exactly what he meant, or what he, was, what he would have said if he could, but he just says yes anyway, because it's like, yeah, that is something that I want to agree yeah. to. I, I do want you to understand that message, even if it's not the one I was currently trying to set out right now.
1: Uh, oh, that sounds Another so example...
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, he kills the people that don't get it right, so... Uh, the, the other one that I uh, am thinking of is, of course, Victoria in the oh, asylum. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where mm-hmm. in, it's entirely someone else. It's not speaking for her, she gets to choose, but yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of an interpretation in this extremely... I, she has to modify her language probably to be as short as possible because otherwise it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's exhausting as is, but
1: yeah, yeah. the language element is you can't really be verbose.
0: Yeah. Okay. I think that's what we have for language. If any of y'all have any examples of interesting bits of language or how language is structuring, uh, how a character speaking is sort of structuring the way that they are viewing the world, uh, go ahead and tell us about Mm. it. But okay, let's get into my section and then we'll we'll, uh, finish up this episode. So, I'm going to be looking at. I wanted to talk about the rhetoric of place and basically use Worm as a way to learn how we can use an understanding of rhetoric to look at the world and kind of the messages that we are receiving mm-hmm. when we go to places. And memorials, uh, in particular, there's, there's three memorials in the section uh, up to the section of Worm um, that I'm yeah. thinking of uh, that. I, Happenstance have all to do with Leviathan, which I think is just a fun coincidence. But uh, memorials in general are a really great example because not only are they, you know, messages, but they're also constructions of a community identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoever is going to view the memorial, and there's a lot of talk about memory and what that means and how memory and history are constructed. Uh, but real quick, uh, just to the 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 background premise which is basically we've we've said this with a bunch of our theorists already but that at all times we are receiving messages that are persuasive in the way of like they are to change your mind into a a certain direction Uh, and like the rhetoric of the shirt you are wearing or the the like what a car looks like right Yeah, yeah basically yeah um every single object around you and we've, you went into this in your section is informing the way that you are constructing the world and yeah. assuming what is the normal. So uh, the the main place where I'm pulling a lot of uh, this talk about memory is uh, a book called Places of Public Memory: The Rhetoric of Museums and Memorials, uh, which is edited by Greg Greg Dickinson, Carol Bryer, Carol Breyer and Brian L. I think Ott mm. is how you pronounce that. It's a really it pulls together a lot of theorists um, into who who are talking about this sort of thing into one location. Yeah. Um Clarence. It's always in, so nice. Yes, yeah. It's very. It's convenient. In our rhetoric teacher's class, <laughs> uh, we went over uh, this sort of thing. We, we talked about. Uh, I, I'm sure you wouldn't remember the name because I already have forgotten. Um, did I write it down?
1: We talked about.
0: But it was basically talking about like a how the French are how memory and uh yes uh, yes the national memory the differences the between French. memory and history mm-hmm. and how they interact mm-hmm. so is like cited as a source in this yeah. book so like i remember i was actually reading through it and i was like wait a second i've read this before and then i looked down at the, you know, the handout that yeah. i had and i was like oh that is exactly the same interesting mm-hmm. anyway um so the point that there's a lot of stuff about just places in general but emphasis on museums and memorials as these really intentionally constructed spaces that are usually constructing a past and yeah. different forms of the past. So uh, from from the book quote, uh, all symbolism harbors the, the curse of mediacy for it represents not represents, represents or perhaps creates the reality it purports to capture or copy. Yeah. So basically it, this is more applicable to museums but it, it does to memorials too where they are trying to represent something else, right? A museum, you know, has an exhibit on, I don't know, what's something that would be applicable? I don't want to say, like, the Holocaust. That's, that's like much, but um, uh, let's say, like, the... the Civil War. Let's say yeah. the Civil War. That's a, that's a good, it's, it harbors enough controversy to, to be significant. Yeah. Uh, where, entirely depending on, like, what objects are brought out and where the emphasis is, it's an entirely different construction of that yeah, war yeah. of, I mean, if you're if it, uh, an exhibit has more evidence of uh, like the the injuries or uh, the kinds of weapons that were used, you know that that shows like the the violence yeah. of it. But you could also just as easily bring out letters from soldiers or uh, uniforms and things yeah. like that to kind of sh- portray it and make the the war feel like a romantic thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or could there there could be like a whole other narrative of like the medicine of the war and like you know mm-hmm. versus like the contemporary how like how how behind america was versus like other like you know medical progressions there's so many narratives um mm-hmm. that can be constructed in yeah. in like the pieces of the past that we have
0: and there is no way to completely capture mm-hmm. the past as it yeah. was uh because for that to happen you would need everything from the past you you can only pick out pieces and then i feel like and you never know i feel like mm-hmm.
1: there's also like the addition of like we will n- never be able to fully separate or object like uh like present an objective narrator mm-hmm. because whoever yeah. it is when re- like re- retelling a tale like you cannot take yourself out of the narrative you know because yeah. you are you are bound by your own perspective no matter how much you yeah. you intake in and you know, present other people's, you're still kind of stuck in your own mindset. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. When you look at a a photo of the past, you are not just seeing the the past. You are also seeing the location of which you are seeing Mm -hmm. the past. And that does not necessarily like just the image of, you know, sitting at a desk or whatever affects the, uh, affects your view of the past, but the knowledge that you are in this moment of the 21st -hmm. century, you are viewing a artifact that has, Lasted throughout however long, um, yeah. You you yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. You can't remove yourself from that. So uh, on that, people use the past and memory to construct and understand the present. Like that is the purpose of memory mm-hmm. because understanding the past alone by itself, it it's not. It does not exist on its own. It always e- exists in a way that informs how we view mm-hmm. the present. And so here I kind of want to go into the the distinction between history and memory as these theorists speak of it. So history uh, is more emphasized on, like, the material evidence of, like, these are the events that yeah, occurred, yeah. right? Where memory and public memory, especially, which is a kind of like the shared construction of the mm-hmm. past, is more on the affect the, the like the feeling the connotation the significance of things that happened in the past which are not necessarily tied to what literally happened like yeah yeah it, i mean that m- memory and the the effect on of the past on the present is entirely uh predicated on the stories that we have been told like if if we are not told what really happened in the past we're just told a story about what happened in the past the story has more effect than the actual yeah, events yeah. that actually occurred. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, a comparable amount. Like, if you were told that World War Two never happened, but then you look at the world and, like, it has been affected by World War Two. it's, you know, it's a complicated mix of it has affected. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. no, but there, uh, <laughs> there's definitely, like, yeah,
1: there's a different perception of particular events based on the narratives that have been told about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, the writers cite uh, David Lowenthal, who I don't know anything about. I just know he said it in this because I didn't do enough research. So, uh, quote, we select, distill, distort, and transform the past, accommodating things remembered to the needs of the present. The prime function of memory, then, is not to preserve the past, but to adapt it as to enrich and manipulate the present. So, again, emphasizing that when we're remembering things, it's not just to to look back and just see how it was back then it's never done in a vacuum of motivation mm-hmm. it's you it's always done with a purpose here in the now to explain how things are working right now and that includes the the, the recent past yeah uh, and that includes the far distant past uh and it's always as he's saying changed from a past retelling to this one the different things are emphasized and and brought out yeah yeah um
2: I feel like uh,
1: so last one mm-hmm. oh well i was thinking a prime example of that is uh this this particular um archaeological site in um Ayurveda, i think um in india that that had both like a hindu temple and then also um a mosque and and mm-hmm. based on the based on different archaeological like findings it sort of like both both held like a specific amount of importance and so it sort of, like, mm-hmm. depended on which one was given precedent based on, like, you know, present uh, individuals who were, like, you know, kind of uh, telling the tale or, like, you know, you know supporting the mm-hmm. specific interpretation of, of, of that, like, area's history. Like, which narrative is, mm-hmm. like, given precedent. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And uh, another important thing, so when I was talking about history, I was emphasizing the material, you know, the things that actually happened. It's also important to note that... As we understand history, it also is completely impossible to fully understand and get the complete mm-hmm. picture. So both memory and history are both incomplete and uh, malleable. And the word I'm looking for is not corruptible, but unstable yeah, at the very yeah. least. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing I want to quote, perhaps? revisable, that would work too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the last quote I want to bring out before we get into nitty gritty of well, that's actually ter- I hate that phrase actually. <laughs> why do I why did I say it? I hate that phrase uh, of applying this to worm. Uh, so Michel Foucault, who's also cited in this, because of course he is, mm-hmm. um, said um, everything everything is never said, which is kind of it, it was related to um, like Derrida's. Um, idea of um, de France, right? Which is, just, you know, every word, every sign is defined by what it is not, right? Yeah. But in other applications, so quoting from the from the book, uh, rhetoricians can use this, this phrase to understand as... Uh, that rhetoricians can use that phrase to understand uh, rhetoric and symbolism as formed um, as important and normal, right? Like mm-hmm. the w- everything that is in this current moment is the normal, it is what is important to the fact that you live in this particular house or that you're listening to this podcast is normal mm-hmm. um, by its contrast with all those infinite things that are not being said, not being done, not being perceived, not being reacted to. Yeah. yeah. So th- that I'm saying this and not literally anything else emphasizes that this is the important one. Um, and this is what is normal acceptable. Yeah. This is more applicable when we're looking at stuff like nations, right, mm-hmm. which are actually like, you know, totally, uh, co- completely unnatural and um, intentionally created, but also like accidents and yeah. um, arbitrary. But because that we because we live in them, they do yeah, feel they natural, natural and normal. List. Yeah, right. Because they are not not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's go and apply this to worms. So the, the three memorials that I'm looking at here are uh, the Captain's Hill Memorial, mm-hmm. the portraits in the PRT headquarters, uh, yes. and uh, the time bubble with the quote-unquote three heroes trapped mm-hmm. in it. Um, so on uh, looking at what is, you know, how uh, these, these memorials emphasize what is present over what is not, right? And the three memorials that we do see, and the only memorials for the Leviathan attack that we know of... Only parahumans are, me- are memorialized, yeah. even though tons of civilians died. Uh, presumably, there's probably some sort of civilian memorial, or perhaps the Captain's Hill Memorial is intended to, meant to like, represent that, yeah, right? The sort of like
1: unnamed soldier sort of thing.
0: Yeah, but in either case, it does emphasize that it is the heroes and villains who are represented, or it is the parahumans who fought, that are the representations of all of the rest of humanity yeah. they are the most significant members and that is the normal state the fact that it is their names and not everyone else mm-hmm. because they are the most important people here which i mean in some sense i mean they fought but people still died yeah, right
1: yeah there's still there's still like an element uh, of like public mourning yeah that extends beyond just like the ones who saved you mm-hmm.
0: um in two out of three of these memorials um hero and villain are side by side undifferentiated mm. right the uh memorial it's very very intentionally and although it doesn't really matter if it's like it, there, there's a political reason for how the memorial you know just has the names and nothing else yeah. but it doesn't really matter that there was a political reason what's important is that it is this way what is the message that is giving yeah. off from that um and it's essentially how i, I um so that that's how it is on the memorial in the time bubble the three inside when when Taylor goes visits visits them she says that the there's three heroes inside mm. but one of them alabaster was actually an empire 88 villain and this is mentioned like during during the fight Oh interesting but not at all during when when she goes and visits yeah. and i think uh this is because they're like frozen at their moment of highest heroism mm-hmm. right they're fighting leviathan you can't really get much more hero than that right and that idea of when you fight a class as threat you are no longer a hero or a villain you are just a cape yeah yeah and it reinforces that cops and robbers thing that like this is why you know we keep them around this is why Mm -hmm. all all the the horrible things that they've done it doesn't matter because they're saving us yeah uh, I think another example of this that's not a memorial, but just of the concept is um, during the Leviathan fight, Bastion, who, you know, his backstory mm-hmm. is he has some controversy for, like, being yeah. racist, um, but he's still a hero. He sacrifices himself, um, which Vissa has to do, which is not super cool, but... Uh,
1: yeah, that poor kid is probably walking that, around with so much... She's She has so much trauma. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, she's already you know. killed someone. She's, yeah. And her power is not even murderous. Yeah. It doesn't even affect <sighs> people. Um, he did that in the hopes of post-fight having all his misdeeds and mm-hmm. his sins, like, washed yeah. away in in death. Um,
1: yeah, this sort of, like, s- martyr... Not mm-hmm. martyr-like, but, like, sacrifice as, as like, absolution or something. Yeah. Or as, like, public yeah. absolution of any crime.
0: Yeah. And that idea is, is reinforcing these memorials, but it's probably something that has been reinforced in memorials in the past, mm-hmm. too. So, um extending off of that though this is a feature of, of all memorials right it only values those who died or disappeared it doesn't celebrate any of those who fought mm-hmm. but lived so for an event like this especially where a lot of emphasis is focused on the inv- individual rather than like uh, a war memorial where yeah. there's tons of people um this definitely does put a lot of weight on that sacrifice mm. uh so while class S threat participants definitely gain more like ethical clout, right? Where like Skidder certainly she throws it around in the cafeteria yeah, scene yeah. and heroes do as well, saying, I've I fought Leviathan, I fought the Slaughterhouse Nine, I fought Echidna, I have earned my right to convince you of yeah. whatever. But at the same time it's not nearly it, it's it's not it's not as much respect as the people who died fighting those yeah. Get.
1: I feel like, too, it's uh, because it- in those moments mm-hmm. there is a suspension of those identities and any sort of deed that mm-hmm. is done outside of those moments. Like, everyone becomes someone who who is fighting for the, mm-hmm. the entirety of the community in that moment. But then once it's yeah. over, all of those structures sort of, like, reappear, you know, and, like, the yeah. weight and, like, the actions that Skitter has done outside of that aren't forgotten you know yeah 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 and i,
0: I well it it becomes part of the past yeah. which yeah yeah but i, I think that's uh, that uh, idea of transformation that you just mentioned of when they're fighting leviathan that they are now all on the same mm-hmm. team right it, which you don't name hero or villain you just named like the side of humanity yeah. uh the, that alabaster was frozen in the time bubble at that moment Mm. means that i mean he's not even actually dead yet right he's just he's frozen he's frozen in that moment where he is on our side and so we kind of classify him continually in that identity even if now we're no longer in that moment we are no longer in the moment of fighting Mm -hmm. leviathan but because that is where he still is he
1: holds on to that like moniker he still is a hero
0: yeah yeah
1: oh that's so interesting That they sort of just, like, adopt Um, that identity because mm -hmm.
0: they're... And they don't let go mm -hmm. of it, yeah. Uh, In the um, uh, post-Slaughterhouse-8, in the post-Arc-8 arcs, we don't really hear anything about heroes having any sort of memorials or celebrations, like that gala that we had in in Mm, Arc-6, which, to modify... There's a chance that we that it did happen and we just mm-hmm. didn't see it. Also, the atmos- atmosphere is probably, like, way too somber for it. And maybe it's just not appropriate given the city's dest- destruction. because yeah, that's, that's sort still, of like a...
1: They use that as, as like, a yeah. gathering of all the big and fancy people. And presumably yeah. a lot of them are not in Broughton Bay anymore.
0: Um, yeah. But uh, either way, I do wonder, like, what was the recognition given to mm-hmm. the living participants of that yeah. fight? Did they, like, maybe just have a summer, like, dinner or something? Or, like, I don't know. Did they get anything? Yeah. Was it just
1: sort of like a let's move on immediately sort of thing?
0: Yeah. Like...
1: Well, because it seems like in... there was a lot of, like, chaos and and mm-hmm. need to, you know, you know be in the midst of, of helping the city recover, like, the second that it mm-hmm. was over. Um, yeah. So I feel like so many... And then, like, I mean, we see when we have the... uh the boards arc where they mm-hmm. like they're all so run ragged, raggedly yeah. run. I don't know. um I feel like it would be so difficult to sort of like stop and have a moment yeah. to mourn.
0: Yeah, and yeah, it, like in real life, for moments of enormous heroism like that, like the country rewards that by you know giving medals and having days dedicated to that and yeah. stuff and um i don't think there's a parahumans day where they celebrate that they fought mm-hmm. like end bringers um and i don't know if any of them get medals but it's like yeah they, they are seriously risking their lives every time that they go yeah. and if they don't die i don't know if they get celebrated
1: i do wonder though like
0: so because mm-hmm.
1: We we have identified specific days that we have, ch- like, that we have marked in our history to remember, you know, that, mm-hmm. like, every year we think about that, like, those particular things yeah. on that day, and, like, I don't know, it makes me wonder if that's what they've done, too, for, like, Endbringers. I think... Because they know, like, she, like, I... Taylor was, like, listing them off.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's, so uh, that's I don't know interesting. If they
1: hold, if it's just, like, a thing that people know, or if it's, like, a, there's something that, like, they always talk about it on that day, or that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I wonder. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that it's not like the same significance that Americans now have for 9/11, yeah. where there's an entire moment of silence because there would just be way too many. Oh, that's uh, true. That's of true. these days, like every every three months, there's a new one for humanity, if not for the United States spe- specifically. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me wonder, like, do they remember like particularly horrible um, outside of the United States ones? I, I think, I think she does, yeah, right? Because yeah. Newfoundland and um kiyoshi Mm -hmm. i think are mentioned um which yeah makes i mean those are pretty significant where you know he sunk entire islands yeah yeah um so uh as as a consequence i think of this emphasis on sacrifice um and and just death and death Mm -hmm. in general of these memorials as like the few places that parahumans are really really celebrated or really get a chance to be celebrated for this sort of thing um like just to look at effects we already talked about bastion you know doing his sacrifice thing but also related uh vista right i think when she's looking at her fellow wards and memorials she ends up you know imagining a future that ends inevitably in yeah. death and she she has that sort of fatalism and i think the fact that yeah the only time that members are remembered is after they've died or, or yeah
1: yeah it's sort of it becomes like a like a like a expectation of like mm-hmm. of course I'm yeah. going to die. And yeah. eventually you will yeah. give your
0: life, yeah, for humanity. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into each of those locations mm. in particular. And so uh, I I basically want to treat them as if they were real life objects okay. and affecting real life people. So saying this, I'm acknowledging that these are not real life objects affecting real life people. They're they're in reality their only effect is the effect on the narrative, on yeah. us, and the effects that Wild Boat has chosen them to have on mm-hmm. characters and the world. So, like, I'm going to be listing things that, you know, if you look at the text, maybe aren't exactly happening. But if they were in the real world, I think would be. Yeah. Um, and it's because I think it's useful for us to practice on these fictional objects so that we can use this in the real world whenever we visit an actual memorial or museum yeah. or just look at a building, right?
1: Yeah. When, you, when we this enter whole- into these... Yeah. Places of like public memory. Places. Yeah. We can have this yeah. sort of like in the back of our mind.
0: Yeah. So starting with uh the Captain's Hill Memorial, um, the first thing I think is significant is its location. Mm-hmm. It's located on this hill, which is you know, has a uh history already in the in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh I I don't know if this is mentioned in this part of the story, but it's hardly a spoiler to mention that uh it's where um Basically, the city is, you know, mythologized to have been founded there, that the, the captain of the ship or whatever, mm, yeah. like, planted, is, said that it would be founded there. Um, so it's already got this this, this past, which now has the significant moment of a city planted atop it. Um, it's separate from the city, but within sight mm. of it. And so it's like this place of memory is disconnected from the actual, like, trauma yeah. that has yeah. happened. Um, as it's one of the few places untouched by the aftermath of the the destruction, as if to say that, like, these deaths will not be blemished by the reality.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. Um,
0: Yeah. And it looks on, it it has this view of the city as if to say, look, this is what we saved, right? At the time, wherein Taylor visits it, it's pretty ironic as the city was not (laughs) saved that well. There's that giant crater Mm -hmm. in the middle. Um, as well as just everything's flooded and probably, like, collapsing. But I think the idea is that one day far in the future... They'll have this, like, sort of beacon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and be able to look at the city and be like, we did Mm -hmm. save it. Look, these lives were sacrificed to give you the city that is now shining over there. Um, And we've already mentioned the the stuff about the names being undifferentiated, Mm -hmm. this just long list. Um, It's also just a, a little note of how... This is more circumstance, but again, circumstance has, you know, effects rhetorically that all of the names are perihuman name, cape yeah. name, and then secret identity if known and, and released yeah. when very often they aren't. So for a lot of them, they were, they're were they just remembered as capes and nothing yeah. else.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because it's um, like their one identity has completely taken over everything, you know? Yeah. That does make me wonder, though, like, are there individuals who don't know that their loved ones are capes mm-hmm. and yeah and they, they just, just disappear disappeared one day. one day do they just like assume yeah that they just kind of were taken in the aft like in the
0: well what i think is even more of a question is if they were an out-of-town cape
1: oh oh yeah. that's horrible so you're just sort of like left yeah. in this unknowing of you know yeah somebody's never
0: yeah I, I expect a lot of them, a lot of, like, the immediate family members, the PRT, like, would tell yeah. unless if, like, they were specifically told not to or something. But, like, what if you were just, like, their coworker or something?
1: Yeah, you just sort like, of wonder.
0: Yeah. Where'd they go? If they were a classmate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so moving on to the ward uh, portrait mm-hmm. memorials. So if you remember right, these are, um, I'm going to just read the section, uh, three feet high. And two feet wide, the the pictures were black and white, bordered by foot-wide black frames. The pictures themselves were head and shoulders shots of uh, Aegis and Gallant, both in costume, masks on. She knew from her own experience that the pictures would have been taken in the first week on the team. Gallant looked so young. He had still been so young when the tidal wave had smashed into him and caved in his chest, only 17. And then she looks at her own picture, which she views as very childish. She, She hates that. So... Um, number one, they are all in costume, emphasizing, of course, that important the the important aspect of the sacrifice is that of the superhero, yeah. not necessarily of the person and personality that is also yeah. lost. Like a whole person is gone, but the important thing, the thing that we are memorializing, the thing that we are going to remember them as, is that yeah. superhero that had the that power action. and was saving people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is also reflect- reflecting on Vista and all the other heroes. Um, this fact that yamada laments that they view their powered alter ego as far more important than their simple civilian Mm -hmm. identity uh and the other thing is that these portraits of them are younger right and it's it's them at this sort of peak of innocence sounds like too much but it's like this intense hope of the future before any of them got a chance to grow jaded um it's, like, they are a new hero. They're here to save the day. They're here to uh, stay with um, everyone. And, yeah, I mean, they're a kid hero. That's, like, the most yeah. hopeful hero you can have. Yeah,
1: it's really interesting that... With... It's, yeah. It's from their first week on the team. Mm-hmm. That there's just... Yeah. Like, I mean, she's she's thinking about her, like, the childish of her image. But, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's, there's like, a naivety, mm-hmm. you know, to... To an image that's I don't know, which I feel like it makes it even more painful. Yeah, is it yeah we don't we don't have the image of like the jaded you know seventeen year old. It's like this kid, and then it's just so yeah. large, three feet high with like mm-hmm. foot wide frame, larger than like, life.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's just their their face yeah, too. It's just a like portrait. So it's yeah, it's not like, like it's, a just a life size picture.
1: Like the size of it is so imposing, but mm-hmm. then coupled with this like sort of naive young image of these two, like it's, it's very like, like, um, uh, juxtaposed, I suppose. Mm,
2: yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And they're just black and white mm. too. I wonder how long they're intended to stay up. Yeah. Another significant, um, just a l- another little note is, uh, browbeat, which you might even have forgotten. Um, he's kind of a meme in the community of just being forgotten, but regardless, uh, Seems- Look he, familiar. so he, it, yeah, it doesn't really matter. He doesn't oh, matter. so sad. Uh, so he, yeah, so he dies during the Leviathan fight. The only other time we see him any before this, I think, is during the bank robbery where he doesn't really yeah. do anything. um And it says basically that he, this was basically his first week, like, from, yes. oh, I no, mean, that's I another, another little shocker. Yes. Yeah. From the time of the, the bank re- robbery to now is like one or two weeks yeah. or something. A week and a half, maybe. <laughs>
1: Dang, man! The time, like the time span, you really don't think about it that much yeah. until you yeah. sit down and like actively contemplate how little, mm-hmm. like how much has been compacted in a short amount of time. Yeah, like that's so overwhelming. So I, I feel like thinking about how short a time there is, like I feel like it's an important piece of looking at these memorial, these public yeah. memorials, because they don't, they haven't had the time to become a community space yet you know like they're still yes. so like um saturated with like the the individual and like or the the original purpose of them.
0: Yeah. It, like they are still in the aftermath. Yeah. It's not totally over. So this is actually a really great transition to one that is kind of constructed by the community, mm-hmm. the time bubble. So mm, yes. It's really interesting as as a difference between the other two because it was not intentionally made. It's a quote unquote natural yeah. memorial. Um, and it's imperfect and uh, the the surroundings had to be adapted mm-hmm. to it. And at this point of the story that we're in, it's also been like constructed by the community as a memorial. A fence was, uh, was erected. Um, uh, but uh, just to describe it, be- because it was not taken care of until much later, right? Mm, During yeah, the aftermath, yeah. it was not... It, it couldn't be a memorial because it was still... It, the city was still entirely yeah. flooded. It was still we weren't they weren't out of that situation yet. So there's like dust and like garbage mm-hmm. like still floating in the air. Um but now there's visible efforts to reclaim it as a place of peace and remembrance, which kind of reflects that in the aftermath of the disaster, um there was no time or attention paid yeah. to the deaths because everyone was focused on their own aftermath Trying to deal with everything. Yeah. Mhm. So then, after things are starting to recover, the disaster f- at this point only finally starting mm-hmm. to close because we had Leviathan and then we had a slaughterhouse nine and then we had a kidnap. But now, finally, we have a moment of basically peace. We can now start remembering yeah. the past.
1: Oh, I'm terribly worried. Uh, and we're gonna. <laughs> yeah, I feel like every time there's a moment of calm, there's going to be something terrible around the corner.
0: With Wildbo stories, that's that's a good that's a good yeah. assumption. Um, so the construction of the past that the memorial becomes changes from essentially, it at any moment before it starts being reclaimed, it's essentially a mark mm-hmm. of failure, right? It's just, it, I mean, a, a great thing to focus on here is that Dauntless, right, is trapped yeah. in it. And Dauntless was kind of like the city's hopes personified. Mm-hmm. They knew he was going to be their hometown hero. He's going to join the protectorate. He's eventually going to become so powerful. Yeah. And dashed to pieces, potential loss. Yeah. Um, and we they can still see it. they can see their former glory right there, but it's completely oh, out of reach yeah. um so but now it's kind of a sign that things can maybe get better. The dust can be cleared away, and we can just remember the good parts of the yeah. past and while we won't have a dauntless again, we can still get by there's this petition right to cover the bubble in flower mm-hmm. petals that it's rejected in favor of viewing the past as it was even though it's also a constructed view of the yeah. past. Remember, one of them yeah. is a villain, is a racist, is a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thinking of this as like a real world thing, I would, if like I approached a memorial like this in real life, or if I lived in Brockton Bay, I would make an analysis that basically to keep the dime bubble around for viewing is sort of a sign that the city's inhabitants have not truly mm-hmm. moved on or they're holding on to that glorified yeah. past. Um, and they're still here living still in that moment when Leviathan destroyed yeah, their homes. Yeah.
1: They're still operating like they are in the aftermath in this sort of like, mm-hmm. they haven't totally healed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that is what I have on those three memorials. But I want to just touch on some other examples mm-hmm. of just other places. So, as a contrast to the time bubble, the scar um uh. rather than being visible is encased in a quote squat windowless zigzagging piece of architecture which is sort of a declaration that at least at this point in time it is not worth yeah. remembering which kind of makes sense the only things in it are a dead crawler and a dead mannequin and a lot of really dangerous yeah, it effects it doesn't
1: have like a lot of radiation
0: yeah radiation and probably i think some like fires that are like forever burning oh my god um yeah it, I mean, it's all those bombs. Yeah, it's true. It's so, true. Which uh, is also what happened to those heroes. Which is Ooh. cool. <laughs> um, so while and, and while some people did die in it, it's not constructed as a place of memory for like people who died to the slaughterhouse yeah. nine. And actually, I don't know if there's a memorial for that. But <laughs> there I don't know. Should I feel be. like
1: the like the cruelty of like the the Leviathan. Is a is like a citywide emergency mm-hmm. you know yeah capital E is one event yeah it's like an event yeah but then like with the slaughterhouse nine it's something that's like it's so much more like intimate a crime and like death mm-hmm. you know yeah. because it's like they're so close up does that make sense
0: mm-hmm. no no for sure uh, and and to me it's also significant that it's a lot of little little small mm-hmm. moments like does each particular mass murdering need its own yeah. memorial? I mean, in real life, like, any time there's a massacre of that sort, like, you know, when he attacks the the merchants, for example, Mm -hmm. or when they attack the merchants, it's not just Jack. Yeah. yeah. Um, He sort of, like, lets them loose. You know, tons. Yeah. Yeah. So tons of people die right there. Like, is that something to memorialize, Mm -hmm. that moment? Or do we just do a memorial for, like, the ongoing weeks? Yeah. And then you know there's all those other people that died just generally in the aftermath of the city. Is this just an extension of that, or do we just need like a memorial for yeah does or does it sort <laughs> of like Leviathan yeah, death does
1: does the captain's hill memorial mm-hmm, take cover on that yeah, the Leviathan mm-hmm. plus everyone else, like plus the the yeah. you know extending aftermath,
0: right, yeah when people skitters territory which i'm pretty sure is where the the -hmm. bubble is when they go see the bubble are they also remembering the people that mannequin killed
1: yeah it becomes it it becomes less about like what is prescribed to be remembered and more about what people bring to it i think sometimes yeah like the once once there is enough room or like time um for for the memorial space to take on more meanings i feel like that's the immediate sort Mm. of next step is like things people taking their own Grief, public grief yeah. to, like, place. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, I mean, th- we, we see little signs of people bringing their own things to it um, where uh, she drops or Taylor drops off flowers at the bubble and we see that there was, like, a, a Dauntless po- poster, an action mm-hmm. figure. Um, and, you, you know, you wonder what are what did those items mean to those particular individuals? Because yeah. it's not just, like, by Dauntless. Mm-hmm. It's also by my home. Maya a city that wasn't wrecked by a giant monster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of other places you could do analysis. Uh, You could... And not just as places of, of memory. You could just do architectural kind of analysis of, like, what does it mean mm. for Arcadia High to have all these hexagons uh, and in in its um windows and the fact that it has, like, a Faraday cage and all these other things. What does that
1: yeah. and they inflict a, upon they the people like who go there? They a building around... The portal don't they or like they build like a throwaway
0: mm-hmm. so they put uh, a big white tent mm-hmm. up first and the implications is that more is being yeah. constructed yeah yeah
1: yeah it's interesting because they're like um, creating they're deliberately creating like a secondary gateway you know mm-hmm. to sort of like regulate
0: oh you mean like a gateway outside yeah. the gateway
1: yeah because mm-hmm. they they take on the you know ability to decide who gets to go in who gets to go out
0: because right. the because the the portal doesn't have a mm-hmm. lock yeah basically
1: yeah so they're like building a door
0: and uh, yeah a- and if the uh the PHq the the floating uh headquarters that they had at the very beginning had lasted any longer that would be worthy of analysis mm. I think you could definitely yeah. be like the moment where it crashes on on to the shores and this destroyed is just a moment where you kind of realize that the heroes can't keep you mm-hmm. safe the symbol of safety and defense is just demolished before the fight even begins yeah and um, yeah, there's so many other places where you could do this sort of thing. I mean, you could analyze you know, Taylor's home. Huh. You could analyze the, the coil space yeah. or a chord space. I think actually would be mm, a yeah, good a cord one. Yeah, chord would be a good one to. Um,
2: okay.
0: Or you could analyze uh, stuff in your own life. You can go to your school and look at the architecture and be like, what is this saying? Yeah. What wh- like not? And not just like in the you know English major way, but like, what does it make you feel when you?" go into it what mm-hmm. roles does it enforce upon yeah, you like how, how does the space sort go of go like dictate and, how
1: mm-hmm. you operate and how you move and yeah. think about yourself like
0: like if you work in in cubicles right cubicles implicitly kind of tell you that you are one of many mm-hmm. that like you're i mean they and there's like they, an implication of surveillance the message of mm-hmm, yeah because the, the top yeah, it's is like all open is open you d- you, yeah.
1: you, you like you are you may be watched. From having the the privilege of of privacy yeah.
0: Right. And so, so many, many others. others. Um, so, yeah, I hope that y'all uh, can apply that to your own lives and maybe tell us anything that this has maybe helped you yeah. realize. Um, but, OK, that's all I have for my section. And uh, we are now <laughs> into the concluding area of the podcast. So we're going to go through our favorite powers then we're going to go into some uh, themes and theories, some some uh, stuff that people have told us about. Um, and then we'll mm-hmm. close out. So, wow. Clarence, what is your favorite power from arcs 18 through 22?
1: Um, there was a lot of new ones. So it was very difficult to choose, um, which is why I chose Butcher. Um, because mm-hmm. there's so many. <laughs>
0: because it's so many. Um, yeah.
1: Also, just like the concept of like having so many minds of, in one head. Um,
0: That's terrifying.
1: It's already like really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's like worsened by the very end where you know they they're all sort of like stuck in this hellish cage with cherish you know mm-hmm. so it like yeah. it, it just like exponentially increases the potential for her to leave and or escape yeah yes. and or escape
0: pretty dark yeah. pretty dark but
1: it's it's really Again, fast I just, like I, I don't know it just seems yeah. like there's so like it have to be such a careful like collaboration between all of them you know <laughs> like are yeah. they are they like Bickering in the back of your mind? You're wandering around you're like having a conversation mm-hmm. with like fourteen other people? Or is it just yeah. like subtle nudges? Are they all just like yeah. streaming? Yeah, like what's how does that all fit together? Yeah. Very intriguing.
0: Do you think they ever just like it, you know, they're at the bottom of the ocean, the, the, like this is their situation. Do you think at some point they just like calm down? And they're like, Okay, anyone got any interesting stories? <laughs>
1: time for some tales.
0: Yeah. Pass yeah. the time.
1: Did anyone know the Too wife bad. of Beth? I was Did anyone what? know the wife of Beth? I don't oh, know that from story. Chaucer. Yeah, oh, well, the Canterbury Tales, because they all like they more. go on their little oh, trip, and everyone's like, "You have to yay. tell a tale if you're going to come with oh, us."
0: Oh, that's a very clever reference, and I wish I got it. No, it's it.
1: okay. I didn't. I didn't fully read the Canterbury Tales, so it doesn't really count.
0: That's very good. So, like, see so your no, your not. analogy. Oh well, I mean, a lot of it's not very interesting, but a lot of it is too. Um, and so okay, so you're basically saying that all of the. As if in the Can- Canterbury Tales, all the voices go and tell their own individual yes, story. It yeah, kind of the time. illustrates all... the theme. I would love to read that <laughs> fan fiction. Someone please write that. That sounds fascinating. Um, what okay. about yours? What's uh, your favorite power? This time so around? mine is mm-hmm. Accords, because it's just so fun to imagine these Ro- Rube Goldberg machines right? of death. Um, it's I, yeah, love I, it. I like I want to see him do the destruction of the for forbesberg gallery mm-hmm, is that what it mm-hmm. is I think um the whole swinging yes. thing it's it's wonderful his um interlude um is narrated by uh um I think I know who it is, but I don't want to get it wrong so uh, a wonderful yes. narrator who you should look up uh and the way that he voices that one is like. As he gets lost in his uh, fantasies, essentially, he just gets more and more, like, fast-paced and like, ah. aggressive. And it, particularly the section where he describes the destruct- destruction of the Forbesburg mm-hmm. gallery, it's just so fun because it's like... And then, finally, uh, the... It, the 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 pendulum will will slice across and demolish this disgusting uh, abomination of of steel, bringing it all down in a resounding crash. And you can almost like hear the satisfaction in the uh, chords, uh, voice of yeah. like, finally this thing would be destroyed. Um, yeah. So I want to see his power in action. That said, I would not want it yeah. at all.
1: I would not want obviously. to encounter him.
0: Yeah, me because, neither. Like, I w- I would I I would like to see his work post. I would like to see a video of it yeah. happening.
1: It's just, I like, the he he, he likes order. And I, I like, yeah. I am not, I'm not yeah. full of order. Yeah.
0: Yeah, is, it, the interesting thing is like, if he, uh you know, if he did a thing with a bunch of dominoes, right, they wouldn't just fall over and, and fall over spectacularly. Yeah. They would fall over and then all fall f- completely mm-hmm. flat into a you know an image or whatever for easy yeah, cleanup of course so yeah yeah so yeah ah. just a lot of fun so let's go to themes and I'm theories very excited
1: about this because there was some yes. really really good like yes. fully fully fleshed out like literary responses mm-hmm. and and thought pieces and it was there's a lot of good thinking that was happening
0: yeah, so on the last overview episode, I think is basically where uh, most mm-hmm. of these are. So uh, let's start with um, Peter Enigma, who wrote a long who basically wrote yeah. an essay, um, which is a, a great read. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, talking about gaps mm. and um, basically black spaces in stories and how they affect readings and and he cites multiple uh, readings. Um, but the emphasis on basically when you see like the the axe being raised and then you hear the scream but you don't see the motion of the axe it like puts you in that moment more than showing mm-hmm. it would because you have to directly imagine it so
2: yeah we sort uh, of like fill in it,
0: mm-hmm. yeah and arc 22 cell is a great example of that not only during the time that she's unconscious but all the rest of the time when she is, has a limited view of the world and um, like when Alexandria is leaving mm-hmm. and coming back, um, she we, we don't we, we have this entire different construction yeah. of the world. And eventually when we find out what the truth is, we come to that realization just mm-hmm. as Taylor does in this shocking manner as everything is shaken back into place, which is like a great subversion of the effect of those blank spaces.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that, I feel like that um there were so many instances of that. I Arc twenty two is like a wonderful view of that, but I feel like particularly this book. Actually I would say I, I would say even like the last section that we read too, like both of them really kind of hinted at a lot of like flaps that were unflipped until we got to the end. <laughs> you know? Where we're mm-hmm. sort of like going along for the ride and we're like kind of taking her narrative is truth. And we're like, yeah, this is totally what's happening. And like, oh my gosh, how could we possibly, how could that happen? And then suddenly like everything makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. C- Cause I don't know. We, we sort of just like buy into the unreliable narrator so readily mm-hmm. or perhaps maybe yeah. just I do. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, I, no, no. I, people do even more than, than we do. My my first read through, there was no doubt, no doubting, Taylor's anything. All of her justifications were correct, <laughs> much less her interpretations yeah, of reality. Yeah, because
1: yeah, I mean, you don't really start thinking about it um, until some of these later arcs. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't really start thinking about it seriously. Because before you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, maybe she has some like specific yeah. opinions, but like we're not going to totally discount. Like she she's telling it like it is.
0: I, I mean, definitely when I first read the listing of all the counts, I was like, oh, wait. She hurts people? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, it's that kind yeah. of realization um, of, like, yeah, she's just been self-deceiving this, mm-hmm. this whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, so that is a great uh, essay. I highly recommend it. There's a lot more in there than uh, we are talking about right here, and it's better argued and has yeah, a lot more sources. Particular. So go read that post by P.D. Enigma. Yeah. Um, so the next uh, two are from Megafire7, mm-hmm. who does wonderful essays all the time, In um, for We've Got Ward. They've also written a lot of really great <laughs> essays on, on different characters. It's it's wonderful. Um, but um, this one is basically about Brian and Taylor versus, like, Rue and Skitter as, like, identities that are dating as a yeah, pair, yeah. right? So Megafire's argument essentially starts off um, that they used to view uh, them basically as, like, Taylor and Brian are not compatible. Yes. Um, or
1: that that Taylor and Brian wait. were... That they were really good for each other, but then Skidder and Gru were terrible.
0: Mm-hmm. But it was the other way around, right? In the end,
1: yeah. Well, because it gets so like the moments that they that they are like identifying with their like pair human and like caped identity don't match up. Mm-hmm. Like Brian Brian embodies Gru much more in the beginning when he's sort of like trying to figure out how to be a leader, and then mm-hmm. Taylor, you know, kind of bolsters that. In the beginning, right? But then he yeah. sort of like is is yeah. he hasn't really like sorted through his like emotional self, so he he hasn't realized that romantic um, relationship mm-hmm. until it's almost too late. Because after that, he he kind of like goes through his you know second trigger and like real he he loses that ability to like you know hold faith to his his caped identity because um, mm-hmm. that's yeah. security that he felt like was there is gone and then taylor sort of is like the flipped where like before she she didn't she wasn't fully like you know embodying her her caped self her like you know skitter identity until she kind of took over as the leader and then by that point she mm-hmm. was doing a huge amount of other things and when he needed her to be you know emotional support and like like mm-hmm. put in
0: when when he needed her to be yeah, taylor for Brian. off doing
1: skitter things yeah yeah yeah. So they were just
0: And he didn't feel like Gru because Gru mm-hmm. is the 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 strong one. The he's he's the badass with the uh, motorcycle yeah. helmet punching people in the face. He's but Brian is the one that is scared and yeah. traumatized not only, you know, post Slaughterhouse Night but before yeah, that yeah. too. Yeah. And yeah, that basically he before she she became leader she used to, like, validate his sense of, like, being strong and masculine mm-hmm. and all these other things and, like, treating him like a leader and, yeah. Um, but now it's it – sh- she's yeah, a leader yeah. now.
1: And she doesn't need him yeah. to provide yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting mm-hmm. reading of that.
0: It was really, really well argued. I, I highly recommend that people go read that Yeah, there's much more, like, too. detail it, and it's, it's much it's...
1: more fully fleshed out and articulated yeah. than how we we're I think it's also
0: it. – more fun to read yes. too i like i, I enjoyed reading mm-hmm. both of these um so the other one by megafire seven is um something that they argued uh, in the discord actually uh post when we talk about the fights i believe yeah uh basically imagining what it must be like mm-hmm. to fight taylor uh and actually i should go I'll, I'll just go find it right now
1: yeah it was really it was really interesting sort of like because w- a lot of the a lot of the moments that we we get of other people's perspectives on her um especially with like the PRT they're kind of like they they have like they rank the undersiders right in terms of like mm-hmm. the the threat level that sort of thing where they're like everyone's terrified of Regent mm-hmm. and then they're like skitter is something that like is is she's difficult to mm-hmm. address or like capture you know
0: yeah yeah uh, so yeah so megafire argues of you know, from taylor's perspective everything every battle is an underdog fight because she has to constantly figure out how to defeat this particular opponent as they defeat her initial mm-hmm. things and um it's constantly you know trying to trick people the last yeah. second right and they emphasize that the thing about fighting taylor is that she does not yeah. stop you can never be sure that you have the actual upper hand because she comes back from certain defeat all the time Against Bakura, yeah. right? Cutting off her toes at the last second. Against mm-hmm. Lung, literally like about to impale her and then Caterpillar in the eye. Armsmaster is holding her, captured, and then uh, she does a trick and mm-hmm. she escapes again. Um, mannequin fakes yeah. her death again. Uh, Echidna again, she is standing in front of her, totally uh, vulnerable, and that was a trap. Yeah,
1: yeah. And- Coil. Where she, like, so the, literally mm-hmm. escapes the building and then all yeah. of the... Certain doom. Certain doom. Completely certain doom. he's, like, yeah. gone through every possibility. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, she, yeah, you can never be sure that you actually have beaten her because she, yeah, she, un, she comes back mm-hmm. from that all the time. So, and she's always, like, you know, trying things. And that's where you have the defiant thing of just, like, just, just stop, stop trying, things. trying things. Just stop like you lost just get over it um and um yeah
1: oh oh yeah no i wanted also to i wrote in this little bit because i was thinking about it and then i forgot to say something um mm-hmm. when the discussion was like occurring but the the she has a com like when she's talking to tag where he's he's describing to her she's like she's describing it as like a game or something they're like little mm-hmm. they're like opposition and he's like it's not a game it's like a war of attrition which seemed mm-hmm. like a very notable thing. of like this concept of he's just there to wear her down. And I mean, perhaps it's his yeah. like technique, but additionally, it is 100% he's assessed yeah. the way that she, you know, operates and has decided this, this war of attrition that will absolutely be like grueling is the best, is the mm-hmm. best, you know, course of action.
0: Tactic, yeah, yeah, against her, which is interesting because that's her yeah. tactic. And, and in the ne- negotiations, you can see how they're totally mm-hmm. opposite. So the last thing I want to mention with uh, Megafire's thing, and it actually it, it made me enjoy the scene even more. So with the cafeteria scene, right, she's surrounded yeah. by heroes, uh, Dragon, Defiant, Clockblocker, so many others, and they're completely unwilling yeah. to approach her, even though all she's doing is just not turning herself in mm-hmm. right at this moment. Like, they have her. She's in her civilian costume or civilian costume she's in civilian civilian outfits she doesn't have any gear on her (laughs) yeah yeah basically um and then when she when they take a step towards her she holds up her hand and they stop because if they don't what will happen they don't know she might slice them all up with clock power or something she's always done something and um that's where it has clock blocker being like, oh shit, it's really her because she smiles Mm -hmm. because she is caught and they're terrified of her not actually being caught. Yeah. So thank thank you for that that Megafire and thank you um Sebastian, because Sebastian helped out as well Mm -hmm. adding some Mm -hmm. some stuff. Um yeah, wonderful, wonderful read. And it yeah, it makes me appreciate that scene so much more. Um so okay, that's it. That's that's our episode. Uh we that that is our themes and theories um and we would love to hear more for our next perspective episode so please yes, send those yes. in um before we get to that what's happening in doof media great question <laughs> you' <welcome. I'm> so <laughs> glad you asked <laughs> <laughs> so uh the podcast I want to recommend uh, this week is of course um much to say our wonderful o c podcast podcast um analyzing um i mean going through the episodes of the orange county and, and the, the their wonderful <laughs> way that they do uh scott and elise daly um yeah it's, it's a joy to to listen to and and kind of get what's going on in their lives mm-hmm. and things like that so that's my recommendation if you need just like something to pick you up uh and just uh just chill out i highly recommend that show and um the next thing is that next friday where. We won't have an episode, right? We're going yes, by weekly. Fortnight. However, there's two, fortnightly, there's two wonderful um, things coming out. The Doof Book Club, next Friday, which is uh, going over the book the, fifth, the First Fifteen Lives of Harry August by Catherine Webb. Um, given that there's a whole week after this episode mm-hmm. comes out, if uh, soon after this episode comes out, you go in and read it, I think you absolutely can finish it by the end of, of next week or perhaps you're already reading it. And um, then next Saturday is yeah, It's only is, about like 400 uh, pages. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, you have yeah, a whole you can, week. You, you could do that in could a do week it if you wanted to. And participating in in, in the book club I, is really really fun. I've I've enjoyed yeah. it every time. Um, the Saturday after the one that this comes the, the Saturday of next week, the same week that the book mm. club comes out is the Doof game club, which is going over the game The Outer Wilds. Um which probably would be hard to finish in a week, but I think it will absolutely be worth watching um, if you're okay with being spoiled. Oh, my God. Spoiled on a uh, good game, so perhaps you don't play games very much, but you would like to see how one is constructed, Uh, go catch that episode of the Doof Game Club. Um, They are both recorded live at 9.30 p.m. on the respective days, Uh, and I think you you can find a link um, to it... um, if you go to the Doof Media YouTube channel, you can find those when they come out. Uh, they are wonderful. I love participating in them. I love being there when they are recorded because you can ask questions and they respond and you can add to the discussion. And it's really, yeah, it's a really enjoyable mm. time. So that's my recommendation.
1: Very nice. Well, also... Uh, in terms of Patreon, if you like, you know, what we do here at Doof Media, you should consider donating a dollar per month or, you know, whatever else you can afford. Because, I mean, it's really good to, like, s- you know, support monetarily these things. But, but I mean, additionally, it also, like, pays, like, hosting fees and, you know, like, uh, material things. And then, like, you know, it, it provides the, the ability to, you know, give back to the community with, like, fan art and other sorts of contests and, mm-hmm. you know...
0: I. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but oh? I think we might be doing a pale uh a pale fan art contest sometime Ooh. soon, one day. Very exciting. So, finally. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just because um uh we yeah, we there was a bunch of fan art contests for for mm, okay. and uh now that pale's been going on for a while, I expect one to happen soon. This is unofficial, I haven't actually been told anything. So perhaps be it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, unofficial word, off yeah. off the books, off the record, pale fan art content. Well, there you go. Um, so you can go to patreon.com slash doofmedia and see all the great Patreon rewards we have. Um, I always forget to pick one. What's mm. a good one? I always forget what I've plugged recently. We should probably start writing them down. Yeah. Well, at the $20 level, um, you get to sponsor an episode of the Doofcast, uh, where you can pick a movie or short story for, their, for us to make a whole two-hour episode on i mean not guaranteed it's two hours but you know we talk a lot so it almost always ends up that way and uh if you want to you can request certain people to be on it so if you want me to be on an episode if you want clarence to be on an episode to talk about your favorite movie or short story um you can do that just you you, you just add it in there uh and then additionally after you have your uh your episode as you continue on the Uh, that that patron reward level, you get to um, have a vote in the uh, Doof Council. So you get to um, have a vote on one, basically one episode of the DoofCast per month. And also um, everyone gets to participate in this vote, whether it goes into the Doof Canon. So that's a a really fun um, reward that that is also available.
1: Such great power.
0: Mm -hmm. With great responsibility. Uh... Don't make... Scott and Matt, watch anime anymore. I am here. Jarvis and I are here. We like anime. you can ask us
1: you have you have willing enthusiasts
2: mm-hmm yes
0: yes. and there will be a bonus content for the10 dollar level Madica Magica episode. maybe three of them maybe one. I don't know yet. it's gonna happen. It's in the <laughs> works. I watched it recently. It's, it's really good. is that an anime it's it's a anime yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, was that the wrong article? Should it be the anime? It,
0: I think it's an, an anime. anime. Yeah.
1: Yes. Well, I wish you enjoyment of that.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yes. Also, also, please consider donating to Wildbo's Patreon, um, because Walbo is the you know like the author of all of these like the great things that we read <laughs> and like you know like uh, he relies on like the income on this specific income to like make a living and continue producing and he's like still writing so we should definitely support him because supporting the arts is very important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. And of course, if you don't have any money for Patreon, we completely understand. But there are plenty of other ways to help us out. Um, you can force a friend who is, you know, having trouble being entertained right now to mm-hmm. read Worm, Or, as I do it, because no one reads anymore, uh, just start reading it to them <laughs> until they're hooked. And then they have to read it. It's it's a foolproof plan. It's worked on. <laughs> I bet it works sometimes. I feel like
1: this is like a car <laughs> sort of scenario. Um, It's... Like a what car you trip. If you're on a car trip and like they're mm-hmm. the one driving, yeah, 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 you yeah, might yeah, as yeah. well just read. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And yeah. they can't stop you. What, are they going to put their hand on your mouth? No. They're Dangerous. driving. They can't do that.
1: We're mm-hmm. all about mm-hmm. road safety here.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and you you can, of course, tell someone about this podcast or any of the other podcasts on the, on the Doof Network. That helps mm-hmm. all of us. We, we love more people hearing about us and, and, and just th- that we can entertain another person or make another person feel a little bit more knowledgeable. Um, and, of course, the other way is that you can leave us a rating and review on iTunes or uh, the Apple Podcasts or whatever uh, or your favorite mm. podcasting app that helps us be found by other people and lets us be more legitimate. Also, it makes <laughs> us more happy. So, thank you. Mm. Um, so, if you have any... Uh, Questions for Clarence for the next section, which is arcs uh, twenty three through twenty six. Uh, you can leave that in the comments of this one, um, or if you have any themes and theories, the same thing. Leave it in the comments of this one, or for the next episode. Now that we are um, fortnightly, I mean you
1: can say biweekly. We
0: will actually uh, okay, whichever well, one you feel. You corrected me once. I'm sorry. So I, went I was just offering one, Clarence. new Clarence.
1: options of words.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I you know, like having a variety. it's like peppering a variety.
1: long semiological chain.
0: Yeah, that's. <laughs> just like that so uh now that we are bi-weekly now that we have an episode every two weeks rather than every one, uh we now can read every comment before every episode mm-hmm. rather than how we used to do so uh yeah so if you have any questions for clarence any themes and theories you can leave them now you can leave the next episode well don't leave the questions for Clarence for next episode because that will be where we do the questions for clarence or anything else you want to tell us if you just want to you know say hi if you want to tell us something that we didn't do well, you can do it. Don't... It makes me sad. <laughs> so don't... Unless if it's very constructive. Um, And you can also send us an email, which our email is uh, decomposingpodcast at com. And, of course, the other way is you can follow our Twitter uh, at decomposingpod and find out all the uh, announcements as they come out, which you'll probably get an announcement that this episode's coming out late because we're recording um really late late in the day and I'm going to take forever to edit Alas. it. So uh yeah that's how you would have found out about that also the dms are open i don't I'd recommend you do that but just theoretically you just could dm case. us I don't but you could if you have to you can if you don't have an email or a reddit account but you do last have a twitter option. even the twitter option. needs an email account <laughs> the last option you can dm us all right
1: yes well so we shall see you in the week after next or hear from you or whatever, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be back to chat mm-hmm. about the next four four ARCs. 23, mm-hmm. 24, 25, 26. Yes, four ARCs. I don't know why I had to count that out. That's horrible. Anyways, mm-hmm. we shall see you then for, you know, the fifth installment.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, next is coming out August 7th. Um. So,
1: join us then as we cover ARCs 23 Drone through 26 Sting. <laughs> Thank you.